everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Lasso Lowdown. We give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Spencer. How are you? Doing great, man. Real excited to talk about this episode of Ted Lasso. So anybody who follows the Mangum Talks podcast network or this podcast specifically knows that you are a grumpy, grouch, sullen, angry man. By all nature. Is that yes. fair? Well summarized. You got a glow about you. You got a glow about you. I think you liked the episode. Did you like the episode? This was my single favorite episode of Ted Lasso Yay! in like more than a season. This this was harking back Yay! to the high moments for me back in season one. I, 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 I was outright laughing and cackling during moments of this episode and beaming ear to ear and also hitting all the other more negative dramatic moments as well when they wanted me to. I, I thought this was an imminently successful episode of Ted Lasso. You love to see it. You know, I actually like your reaction more than I liked the episode. Yeah. I didn't, didn't dislike the, I didn't dislike the episode. Um, but I just, I, it's so rare that I see you like spike <laughs> it happens. on an episode. I'm really happy to see it. It was almost like when we were watching, um, The Last of Us, like my brother liked The Last of Us so much mm-hmm. that I was like, I kind of got into it vicariously. Yeah. So that's kind of what you're doing for me. I've had a long week this week. I've been traveling. I've been doing a lot of stuff. So your enthusiasm is what's going to carry this podcast I, today. Are you up for the challenge? I, I will carry us, sir, with the power of my recap to bring you, to bring the enjoyment to your face. That's right. Spencer will lead the recap every week heroically. Bang, bang, knock them out. Funny anecdotes, witticisms. He will beat by beat explain the episode through the recap. And, and then only the episode. Nothing beyond the recap. No extra information whatsoever. Because we have Sports Center Top 10. Mm-hmm. Point out 10. Exactly 10. Not 9. Not 11. Mm-hmm. 10. On the nose. And by the way, if you're out there counting every week and you're not getting 10, you're counting incorrectly. Because oh, yeah. we always do it perfectly. Every Precisely. week. Always 10. Things we liked about the episode or things we found interesting about the episode, tidbits of information, anything like that we want to call out. Then we will go to train wreck of the episode, which we always have one. And then Ted's life lessons of the episode. We also have what I, I really enjoy at the beginning is biscuits with the boss and tea time with Lee. So Spencer biscuits with the boss. Did you bring anything for us? This I week? did. Uh, well, more accuracy, my girlfriend did, of where I, stuck at work, didn't have time to pick something up, so I asked her to arrange something, and love of my life, but with an impish streak a mile long, gave me one of the collection of chocolates that she'd gotten from my parents as a gift. Specifically, she gave me a chili-infused honey and Vietnamese cinnamon dark chocolate caramel with smoked paprika designer chocolate. I have no idea what this is going to be like. But this is what I have picked to, to, for Biscuits with the Boss this week. You live an interesting life. You outsourced the Biscuits with the Boss segment yep. to your girlfriend this I week. I did. Because you were too busy to get a suite. I would like to point out that suites are literally in the checkout counter of every every store you ever go into. You were too busy to get a suite? Is that what this you're telling what I'm us? I'm telling you. Where I had plans this morning that were thwarted by demands of work, and so I just asked Bridget, like, can you just arrange for something? And I arrived, laptop already, notes prepared to find just a single wrapped chocolate sitting there with this label attached to it. All right. Well, while you try that and let us know what you think of it, I will explain my tea of the week. My tea of the week, it is, it's apropos for my week. It's also apropos for the week that our guy Ted had Mm. because Spencer's going to be happy this episode. He liked the episode. He felt like it was quality. He laughed a lot. I'm going to be angry this episode because because I've got a real fucking bone to pick, not with the guy impersonating a former president, Mm. 
But the woman who is with him, Ted's ex-wife, I have got I you're gonna have to clear the fucking runway for me. I've very We're gonna discuss that. Ted also very upset about it. We're seeing him drink maybe a little bit more than normal, which means he probably waking up a little tired, maybe a little bit of a hangover. Mm. I've had a lot. I don't, I don't drink. So I've not been waking up with hangovers, but I have been, I've been traveling for work. I've been busy for me. It's probably only like 75% of like a normal Spencer work schedule, but it's busy for me. So I've got twinnings, strong English breakfast. Tea oh, good call. Tonight good call. That we will be doing. It's it's a tea blend that is specifically for people, I think. I think this is kind of what it's marketed to. Specifically people who are drinking tea for the effect, for the caffeine, and for whatever reason are drinking coffee. So Twinning's Strong Personal English favorite. Breakfast, when I have been struggling to get through my week, when Ted is struggling to get up in the morning after nights of Facebook stalking, a just complete fucking clown show of a woman that he used to be married to. He's going to have some twinning strong English breakfast tea in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's where we're at with the segment. Um, a lot of positive vibes. Yeah, I'm picking up me. on that. I, <laughs> a lot of positive vibes. It's just over radiating here. off you. I'm just <laughs> feeling it. It's got me inspired with all your happy thoughts. Sometimes, sometimes I go after a character and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, the you know, our people, our listeners are going to, like, write in and tell me I'm wrong. Or hey, look, if you you want to you want to tell me that Michelle has handled this fucking breakup with Ted properly. Have at it. Write in all you want because I'm not, I'm not excited. I I am not going to cop to that one. I am, I'm quite excited to, to put this woman on blast. I'm, I'm quite upset for how that has gone. But anyway, Ted also seems pretty upset. A lot of scotch drinking. He's Mm going to have some twinning strong English breakfast tea in the morning. We'll see when we get there because inherent contrarian that I am, maybe I'll take an opposite position. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Please do so at your own risk. Okay. Are we ready to hit the recap? Before we do, I want to mea, do four five one. I want to do a little bit of a mea culpa for us because we had a, a, a fan yeah. write in, and this is one of the fan comments I actually read. Thank you, Lee, for passing them to me. Uh, and this fan pointed out it's another thing he's outsourced, by the way. The fan comments. I've been outsourcing <laughs> that since before we even started the damn podcast. <laughs> uh, but this fan pointed out something that we missed in the last episode. Yep. Of where we had we had asked ourselves, have Trent. And Roy ever met before, and we didn't think they had. This fan pointed out that way back in season one, they met they met outside of Phoebe's school on the day that Trent was shadowing Ted. And Roy's comments at the time indicated a certain measure of hostility to Trent the one time he saw him. Saying something along the lines of you were always an asshole and then just walking away. You're always a fucking prick or something like something that. Like I think that, that's yeah. what he said. Yeah. Great call. I think in some ways it, it, it even more thoroughly proves the point we were going for about how well this show sets up itself, that it gave us that hint early on that the two of them had a bit of a beef. Yeah, I think that was a fantastic call out by that fan. So thank you so much for writing. And they came to, they went to mangumtalks.com, clicked on the upper right hand corner link, contact us, wrote us an email, let us know that we'd missed that. And I really appreciate that. That's the type of stuff that we want to hear more about because um, that needs to be built into our analysis because it, it clearly was the show l- having an idea of that relationship all the way back mm-hmm. then. This is not something they just recently, I mean, they may have like filled out the details recently, but they knew that Roy didn't like Trent well, all the way back then. So I, I don't know. That's the, that's the little stuff I like to appreciate about a Damn show. So fans, please write in with that kind of stuff, write in with whatever you want. We do enjoy it and we always read it. Well, Lee yeah, if you does. want to write in, to t- if you want to write in and tell me that Michelle has handled this breakup with Ted properly, 
have the fuck at it. I can't wait to delete your email. Love, I'm so frustrated with you her. You love to start flame wars in our comment section. It's going to be fun. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's Recap. go. Anybody wants to, wants to back Michelle. Hey, 451. Recap. Uh, Recap of 451. Hey, we start with the Tetris movie. Uh, we do. Did you did you get that in the re, in your as an advertisement? I did, and it makes a, a certain Tetris reference in the episode make all the more sense. I have a question for you. Are we at a, I mean, are we, so we're hitting, like, there's so much nostalgia for stuff for us, right? Like, sure. we're hitting that age where we're the people who, like, are, have money and can consume these things. So there's things like arcades with video games sure. that we grew up with, right? There's a, there's a big movement towards some of the old video game consoles. Do you think having a movie about the game Tetris is like, are we super saturated with nostalgia now? Is this at the max level? In fairness, I think the title is meant to you know trigger that nostalgia focus. The movie, I think, is a biopic about the guy who invented it, or like originally created Tetris and then made it a worldwide phenomenon. So I think it's more about him by means of his Tetris, you know, creation. Oh yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was literally like hey, I this wouldn't is how put it past people nowadays. But me. but I do think like the fact that. Tet- the guy yes. who made Tetris, like we, we're super saturated with nostalgia at this point. I feel like I'm probably going to watch it, maybe driven a little bit by nostalgia and you know the somewhat interesting Soviet origins of the game. So you know, might might check it out. But in terms of our recap itself, we open the episode with our first reveal that Colin, the man who previously compared their sponsor to Grinder last season, which was more of a hint than I necessarily thought it would be, uh... will at least say likes men. Can't say his orientation necessarily accurately from this stage because he is presently leaving the house of his. Was out of my head. Was to a wonderful song play. How could I have ever been so blind? I, 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 I was looking for an indication. I'm curious your thoughts. How would we define their relationship at this point? Because whatever it is, it seems relatively new. Of where uh, Michael, I believe it is, uh, doesn't know that Colin doesn't do coffee and clearly doesn't know that much about soccer, despite it being you know Colin's profession. <laughs> Are they – how, 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 from what we've seen, how would you define how far along they are and maybe even what label they design themselves? Seems like cuffing season. Seems like they're starting to lock it down. It seems like it's the beginning of a relationship that's turning serious. That is very accurate pressure. I think they were, there was a certain measure of maybe you know friends with benefits or something else starting off and that now they're flirting with the idea of becoming a much more serious, exclusive relationship. And I think Colin right. may be even more interested necessarily than Michael is. Please don't be when you're – when your hookup starts to know your travel schedule and is looking forward to you getting back in town, I mean, like that's when they're, st- you, yeah. yeah, they're starting to get starting to get more serious, right? So I think it's a big, it's cuffing season, it's the beginning of a serious relationship, is what we're seeing. But I, I think the impl- like, I, I, I like what you've done there, right? Because you're being you're being fair and and not making assumptions about somebody's sexual orientation simply because of one person they're hooking up with, right? Because like I don't know, might be gay, I, might be I'm high, also, might be who I'm knows. also of the belief that everybody's on a spectrum somewhere. It's just where you fall. I do think the impression here is that he is gay, right? I think yeah. that's what they're going for, and I think he's and, a not, he's not out yet. And then this whole thing with Trent's going to be a thing. Whatever his orientation, this aspect is clearly not being shared with other people that are otherwise closest to his life, among his teammates. Despite the fact Michael apparently knows very little about football, he knows quite a bit about Zava and wishes Colin well for what is setting up to be Zava's first day with the team. Michael, meanwhile, off to Dubai, Colin is off to practice, and he leaves, repeating his Dr. Sharon mantra that I am a strong and capable man. Before then, very funny for me, interrupting our theme song by driving his very nice car into a collection of bins. Bang. 
Uh, we do our theme song. Lee, yeah, take it away. Yeah, might be all that you get. Leaving that behind. Yeah. No, not quite yet. <laughs> Ted and gang are discussing that Zava yeah, will need to move into their Zava starting lineup. Try. Which if Ted's maths are corrects, maybe, got one of those two, right? Means that someone is going to need to be set down, which they decide is Colin, and someone is going to need to move back from the striker position to midfield, uh, given uh, their four four two uh, current strategy. So here's a question for you, because you're, you're the soccer guy now. It, seem, it seems like they're having to do two things. They have yeah. to literally put someone on the bench because yes. Zava's a new player. And, and then they also be starting. They also have to move a forward back. Right. Because they, they're working under the assumption that, of course, Zava's going to start. And, of course, he's going to play striker. It's his position and he's an all-star. So to accommodate that, Colin going to sit on the bench. And Danny is going to move back to midfield because Jamie... To quote Ted, like Ted's precious, like his Ted's grandma, grandma's or mom's precious moments figurines collection. As Roy jumps in, Jamie's a fragile little bitch. Which is Ted expresses brevity is nice, but sometimes clarity is the true soul of wit. Thank you, Roy. Uh, Higgins arrives and they discuss gut stress issues, the oddities of British spelling, and how Roy is in no way put off by the fact that while he was truly a great athlete, Zava is something different, something special at a whole. That new is level a of really. Ability. That was a really wonderful line. I liked that. How he was like, because it, it, it did a couple things. One is showed humility from Roy and mm-hmm. his ability, his, he, like his call it like he sees it thing. He goes, no, nope, nope, not like Zava. Zava's better, right? But then he also does this thing with Ted where he's like, Zava's better, you'll see, mm-hmm. right? And I love that like everybody in the room is like telling Ted, like, you don't get it. You've yeah, never you- seen some, like, a, like, th- Think about how clueless this fucking coach is. One, he's never even seen a striker that good, meaning he's watched so little soccer, he's never seen an elite striker. And two, they're not even bothering telling him go watch tape because they know he's not going to. So they're just going to wait until he's out on the field for Ted to see it. Well, (laughs) as we see, Zava is also a person that you've got to experience in person. Uh, Ted, though, is still trying to bulk Roy up with, oh, come on, don't sell yourself short. If anything, sell yourself tall and get it altered later. Man, Ted can express a point. Uh, they discuss, though, that they're going to need to integrate Zava into the team. However, they get horrendously off track thanks to Sound of Music references and get derailed talking about fancying Julie Andrews, the voice, the eyes, the way you know she'd tell you off if you'd been bad. Thank you, Roy. Did not realize you were such a fan. And then discuss which is their favorite of her innumerable All time. years. Julie Andrews' favorite character. Let's do it on the pod here. Go, Spencer, go. Well, let me mention the characters, then we'll do ours at the end. Uh, Roy, his favorite is Maria from The Sound of Music. Classic. Uh, Beard being just difficult. This goes with Eliza Doolittle from My Fair Lady. Focusing on her stage role, given that she famously lost the audition for the film role despite... So they only have it in audio now, is what is what Ted was referencing. Yes. They, they have an audio recording of her stage performance. Hickey Bottoms! Hickey Bottoms! Audrey Hepburn. Says, uh, come on, you poppins. Mary Poppins, indeed. Uh, famously, Audrey Hepburn also, despite the fact she got the role of Eliza Doolittle, did not do almost any of the singing voice. They brought in Marnie Nixon for that instead, dubbing her over. But I'm sure that just... How offensive. That just dug the knife in a little bit deeper for Julie Andrews with her Sheesh. illustrious voice. Trent, though, goes with Calice Rinaldi, Queen of Genovia from The Princess the Diaries. Rope. Which, oh, fuck yeah, Princess Diaries. The room freaks out, including particularly Roy. I, I did not know that Roy was such a fuck. big, you know, Julie Andrews fan, but, you know, fun. 
No, but th- well, it kind of makes sense with his movies that he, the selection that he likes, right? This because think of, there was a scene with his niece where he was seemed to be very into the movies that she was watching and understood them really well. Like, so I think Roy, like myself, uh, does appreciate a good rom com. I have uh, I love rom coms. I've been watching them my whole life. I really appreciate the genre. Now they've they've slackened up a bit recently, but I do appreciate a good rom com. Seems like Roy does too. Shout out Roy. All right, uh, sir. Shall we now pick our favorites? What is yours? Absolutely, favorite Julie Andrews role of arts all time. I feel like Trent with the slicked back hair, driving his Audi. He's got a he's probably a big Patagonia fan. Mm. Loves to shop at mm. REI mm. if they have one in England. Hipster to the fucking nth degree. He overthinks it. This is absolute overthinking. It has got to be Mary Poppins. This is an Higgy Bear. Higgy Bear nailed this one. How can you pick anything else? It's a wonderful film. It ranks incredibly high for me. I'm just going to be contrarian and just pick something that they didn't pick, though, because it does. It is a film that tickles me very get much. It, get all that contrarian out of your fucking system no, before we get to Michelle. It. Can't before do it. Before we get to Michelle, I just want to name. It's not mentioned, and I think in some ways it's a little <laughs> bit forgotten about. But uh, her role in the 1982 musical comedy Victor Victoria is just great. It's a wonderful musical comedy. It's starring Julie Andrews uh, with James Garner and Robert Preston. They're knocking it out of the park. It's a, it's a great film. I think I feel like it's unfairly forgotten about. It. I think she does great in the role. Tell the truth. Did you Google little known Julie Andrews? No, roles? I actually love that film. I love a lot of her films. If I would have to say what my what is my absolute favorite of hers, Mary Poppins has to rank pretty damn high. It would be either that or Marie and South Music. Okay. Uh Going through that, we got incredibly off track ourselves. Uh, meanwhile, the players are freaking out about Zava and his, what is... Zava! How would you describe the space they just made for Zava in the locker room? A meditation zone? A He's got his own nook? corner. Yes. He's got a corner. He's So there's only four corners, obviously. And he, he runs one. Shout out to me in geometry class. There's only four corners. <laughs> and he has got one all to himself with three lockers. The space is his, and... Most of the room is just like honoring it like it's a holy ritual zone, while Jamie is staring at it with disdain. However, most of the room is just excited. We get this very, I'll just say, special quote from Danny, of where he says, When I was a boy, I played in Zaba Boots. I slept in Zaba Boots. I made love for the first time to Zaba Boots. Uh, do you mean in Zaba Boots? No. Process that how you will. Uh, working off that. to boot. Uh, that is, I think, the most accurate read on the situation, yes. I think that's what happened. Uh, working off that and Rishad's sexy panther comparisons, the team descends into the typical locker room uh, gay banter uh, being... I didn't like this. I didn't like it They're playing off a trope here. They're working a I trope. I was not a fan. Uh, uh, this really upset me because I don't... I, I have, up until now, operated under the assumption, and probably stupidly, that this is a loving, caring, uplifting... We don't know it isn't locker room, and they are—they're making gay jokes that are twenty years old. That the the inference in these jokes, right? It's the unstated thing is that being gay is the type of thing you don't want to be. Like that's that's the unstated thing in all of the it, undercurrent of the jokes, it, and it, I don't like it at it, all. It is certainly playing off the "don't be gay" joking trope, classic in a locker room anymore. It does. Go in its own way with respect to it, though, and maybe with a more modern lens, given that we have everybody agree with Sam that Zava is one of those charisma unicorns like Paul Newman, Idris Elba, and apparently, according to them, Norm McDonald, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I was Don't with say him. it so confused. I was with him on two of those. What? He kind of lost me a bit by the third. 
But, you know, Norm MacDonald is awesome, just not in the way I think they're going for here. You're confused. Uh, Colin, seeing an opportunity, jumps in to confirm that he, well, confirms to the audience that he is very much in the closet with respect to his teammates, but offers them a laugh with, okay, guys, you convinced me I'll have sex with Zappa. The room bursts out in laughter. That's only funny because the idea of having sex with a man is so crazy and foreign and alien. I don't like it. Whatever. I'm going to sit this team down and have a nice firm talk with them before the next episode. So don't worry about it. They're playing off the trope. It's in the classic example of though, once they're at Colin ever does come out. I can't imagine the team's going to be busting his balls. I can't imagine the team is going to show a certain element of prejudice towards him. I don't think that's the read we've gotten out of the team so far, but they are slipping into Again, what feels to be a very classic trope here in terms of to later set that up. Maybe. I wouldn't be so sure about that. We'll find out. On the page. I, you, know who, you know who I'm worried about? Who are you worried about? Sam. That would be interesting. Given that he's always been the golden boy, the heart of, uh, the, heart of the team, the one that they kind of aspired to as being, you know. I the, say this as someone. I say this as someone who, is, who has actually been. To Nigeria? To more, yeah, to Nigeria. To more than five. I've been to six African countries. I, I was going to say more than five to make it super mysterious. I've been to six. <laughs> six African countries. I have spent months and months on the continent visiting with locals, hanging out with people. And the amount of homophobia I encountered was off the charts. I mean, it is, it is like, I think Ghana recently um, passed a, a law that was, uh, that, that basically said like you could you could go to prison for the sort of an undefined period if you were an openly gay man mm-hmm. in the country, um, Saharan sub in the Saharan Africa area that the the amount of um, homophobia is really high. Now, of course, I'm stereotyping Sam with that, right? Because Sam could be completely sure. different, and that would be really great if he was. But I'm just trying to like I'm, I'm using like what I know about these characters to try to judge who could it be a problem for, mm-hmm. and he seems. Very much grounded in the tradition from where he comes. He seems like he's religious. Like this could be a problem with Sam. I think it'll be curious to see. Because my, my assumption is that I team, hope I'm wrong. My assumption based on the show and the team is that they wouldn't care. But it could be a really interesting twist if there is a bit of an issue as the result, and there's a reason that you know Colin's been keeping it secret from everybody. Now, somebody writes in is like you're stereotyping Sam. Yes, I am. I'm stereotyping him because I'm trying to predict what his reaction is going to be. <laughs> I fucking hope I'm wrong. Mm. On the pitch. There is a massive on the pitch. of fans, players, and journalists Question who are arrayed to see Zappa. Yes. What was this? Was this a press conference or a practice? I don't think it was. What I were they all it, waiting for? I think they were just waiting for Zava. I think it's just that. I think it was just an opportunity Somebody, to greet Zava's arrival and celebrate it. Like so, this was an event so, just for Zava. So it was a press conference, basically. He would come out and talk to the fans. Fans and pre- – sure. If we want to put it, put it in that so label, there were, yeah. He's there okay, to talk so to it wasn't, it wasn't a practice. No. The players are there for the sake of Zaba's here. We should all be here. It's welcome to the team. Let's make this a big media event so we can market this to use going forward. Got it. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, Zaba isn't there. Everyone's arrayed. Everyone's waiting. Zaba is at best less than timely. To the point that people are even a little bit worried about his contract uh, and whether he is actually signed with the team. Uh, Higgins. Hey, lawyer. Yeah. Does an e-signature, does that hold up over here in the uh, on this side of the pond? Uh, yeah, we got two federal laws on that point, the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, and we also have the Electronic Signatures and Global and National Commerce Act. And I did look it up out of raw curiosity, and over in the UK, they've got 
symbol equivalent, the Electronic Communications Act of 2000 and the Electronic Signatures Regulation regulations of 2002. So this side of the pond, certainly, and based on what Higgins finds in my own quick Googling, I think, I think also in the UK, an electronic signature is just as valid as a physical signature in this day and age. If you sign your name. <laughs> Instead of doing as Zava signed, you're welcome. <laughs> Higgins, please read the damn contracts. Please check yeah, this shit. Come on, Higgy Bottoms. Uh, Zava's cell phone is also apparently being currently tracked from somewhere off Mykonos, which is not great <laughs> either. Uh, so Rebecca is rapidly freaking out. Uh, Shandy offers to distract the stadium with her tits. Uh, leading Whoa! Did she just said she was going to take her shirt off. She's going to take her shirt off and run around the stadium. Why is she taking her shirt off other than to possibly advertise her bosom somewhat to the world? Uh, Rebecca, uh, we're getting to the first of what is many in this moment, oh, you must be Shandy, comments from another person. We get a lot of those. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Shandy is making a good impression. Doesn't seem that way. Everyone around her, even when they're being polite to her, seems to be kind of looking down on her a certain bit or she's rubbing them a little bit raw. Shandy's my old friend. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. We, that makes sense. we get like that five times from different people. That makes, that makes sense. Uh, she starts to pick Rebecca's brain, but Keely cuts her off and sends her off to the concessions to start selling merch at half price to try to get the fan base excited or at least distracted by something else. How tall are you? <laughs> A fair question. Uh, Rebecca's cagey about being uh, late for some kind of secret event. We'll see what that is later. I love Mysterious Rebecca. Uh, Ted, meanwhile, is just worried that Zava maybe got the wrong address and is somewhere in Richmond, Virginia, which I found hilarious. Uh, And Higgins, public enemy fan, (laughs) offers that when a man with a giant clock around his neck is that late, it ain't about time. He's just making a statement. Well, that's Ted, but yeah. Uh, Was that that Ted? I thought that was was Higgins. No, it was Ted. Ted was late to the... He he went to a... um, Hey, look, superstars play by the rules oh, back okay. in 98. I waited over three hours for Public Enemy to take the stage. That's right, that's right. Uh, on this joint called the Cubby Bear. Yeah, he had a giant clock around his neck. Is that leg? It ain't about time. He's making a statement. Uh, switch the two because uh, Rebecca's then sets uh, Leslie damage control Higgins on calming and distracting the crowd. Which- Shout out WWE. There's a there's a really great faction in WWE right now called Damage Control. Just like to point that out. Nice touch. Uh, she, meanwhile, charges off to her office accompanied by Keely and Ted debating the best actor alive. With everyone, and I think fairly generally arriving at Daniel Day-Lewis, once it's established, both alive and retired are the criteria. Okay, that's a real that's a real question. Let's let's digress. Best actor alive. It seems like the, the people they're throwing out, they've gendered this, right? That they're using actor as only men. They are using. They were focusing on actor as only male title. Yes. Okay, so if you had to do best actor alive, you'd go Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, he's retired, which puts him in an interesting category. But I think he fits a lot of the criteria of who particularly actors would say that man is God. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's an incredible actor. I mean, every, every single role he's been in, it's just like, it doesn't even almost matter what the film or the role is. He's going to elevate it by his presence. He has reached that point. That's for sure. But firmly retired now. It doesn't seem like he's inclined to come back. Uh, that's their, what he says. Their discussion in our own though is interrupted because Zappa is there in Rebecca's office. Talking about the biscuit crumbs covering her desk. Rebecca firmly tells him off, and he gets out of her chair. And we are rapidly introduced by means of choice dialogue to one of what I feel is the greatest characters they've yet introduced on Ted Lasso. And just in terms of the sheer constant weirdness entertainment value. My leader, I am an empty vessel filled with gold. I am your rock. 
mold me. So he offers to Ted, who responds, well, hey, if we if you score goals like you talk, we're going to be just fine, buddy. Uh, to Rebecca, oh, time is a construct like gender in many of the alphabets. To Keely, my queen, my actions today have made your job much more difficult. Notably, he's not apologizing there, but he is acknowledging what the effect of, thing, of what he's doing is. But, you know, the thing with that is, like, most everything he says is odd, but yeah. right. How can how can some of the alphabets be a construct and some of them not be? I would, be, I would love to pick his brain on that. I'd, I'd like want, to know how he makes that differentiation. I want to know what he's <laughs> defining as not a constructed alphabet. Sure. Uh, maybe he's just talking about ones that were, like, artificially created rather than developed naturally, like, you know, Esperanto or something. Um uh, Keeley tells him not to worry. There's no such thing as bad press. To which he responds, my integrity disallows me to agree with that statement. Meanwhile, and most intimately, I would say, forehead to forehead, he greets Higgins, referring to him as you are the glue, while incredibly meaningful and like triumphal music starts to build in the background while he does. Nice for Higgins to get a moment, I suppose. Uh, Zaba, are you kidding me? Wow, we zowie. Oh yeah, Zaba heads off uh, to go talk to the team, admitting he has no idea where he's going. Ted expresses his excitement and charges after him to go keep track of that wallflower. Higgins is introduced to Shandy, and we get our second moment of someone meeting Shandy, where upon finding out that she is both Keeley's employee and also great friend, ah yes, yeah, it's like a, you responsible with an oh. It's just like an even mix of mixed knowing and worried all compiled together. Mm-hmm. Like, this shall not work out well. Uh, Zava arrives in the locker room, and the music has gotten even more profoundly inspirational as he walks in. And he does that kind of, like, you know, mix between, like, Incredible General, like, you, you just recently read Shogun, Toronaga reviewing the troops kind of thing, uh, mm-hmm. mixed with just, like, the charisma gods in human form of just... Walking into a room and making every person there feel special, unique, and acknowledged. Like they got their Except own for personal Jamie. moment. Except Jamie, who's just not even standing up or making an effort. If Jamie had been standing there, would have been part of it. Uh, it's to the point that everyone in the room is basically having it almost like, a, other than Jamie, having like a religious experience. To the, even the normally rigidly honest Zanmas is reduced to hyperbole by offering, when Danny says, he's like an angel. To him saying, why are you downgrading him? He's clearly a god. Uh, I just... I, what, um, of all I will begin well, by I, addressing uh, the most important person in this room. Before we which even is get there, you, kid man. Before we get there, though. My absolute favorite aspect of his various reactions, interactions with people, retouching shoulders, you know, generally making the room feel special, is the little moment he shares with Roy. Where he walks up to Roy, he stops for a second, and they both simultaneously just do a slight nod at each other. It's just... It is just a moment of respect, of game recognizing game, of two greats interacting with each other. But then, as you said, Zava has now commanded the room, walking right in front of Ted, and addresses the most important person, the kid man. Uh, confusing him briefly with Jamie, which maybe just adds to Jamie's disdain for this guy going forward, uh, before Will eventually walks forward. Zava offers that he was a ball boy back when he was 11, and that Will's passion is why Zava plays, even though Will was apparently 25. I would have lost money on that. Well, you know, I'm not sure that – I want to be a Zava apologist because Jamie – he probably confused Jamie with the kit man because Jamie did not appear to be part of the team. I he agree. wasn't up. He wasn't interacting. He wasn't with the rest of them. So I don't know. 
I think that like if Jamie probably was offended by that. And I think that like my reaction to Jamie would be like, yeah, you kind of set yourself up for that one. Like you did not appear to be part of the team. I was reading online. There were several moments where people were saying, oh man, Zaba's being a jerk. I don't read almost any of those moments as Zaba being a jerk. And I'm with you on this one. I think that was a perfectly reasonable mistake when he couldn't see Will. And that's the only person that isn't standing up or directly interacting with the team in this moment. Fair read that he's not officially part of it. Uh, He greets Will's passion. Will seems legitimately touched. It's probably the nicest any player's ever been to him before. Uh, Maybe things would have been different for Nate if the players had treated him that way back in the day. Uh, Zaba walks back in front of Ted, like, twice. He keeps doing this. Maybe he doesn't necessarily have the most respect for Ted, or he's just so self-absorbed he doesn't have a sense of where Ted is. Who knows? We can debate that later. Uh, and Zava invites the team to breathe with him, which, over a breath held for like 20 seconds straight, demonstrates some impressive breath control and lung capacity. He lets the air it's like a holding a breath for 20 seconds is well, impressive lung capacity? They, they, they demonstrate it is by the fact that all the other players start breathe, uh, run out of breath first in terms of the, not, not holding the breath, letting the breath out in that particular form. Uh, he then offers once he does so, we are now one. There is no me, there is no you. There is only the we, and the us, and the we and us. Maybe not the best speech, but the room is utterly charmed by it. The players, Venus. The players are in awe. The players are in awe. The coaches are as a general state of flabbergasted that will not disappear throughout this episode. Particularly as Zaba turns, heads into the coach's office, and closes the door. He's so much more down to earth than I imagined. That's an interesting read on him. Yeah, like many things, think positive things to say about Zaba. But I actually, I'll say this now as a color aspects of my recap. I love how they chose to portray this character of where he's clearly an all-star. He clearly is it, it, self-absorbed or self-centered, but he's not a jerk from what we've seen about him. He's not an asshole. Most of what he does seems to be raising himself up, but supporting and raising up everybody else around him with him. And that's a way of portraying a superstar that I appreciate more than if they'd gone with him just being a stereotypical jerk to everybody around him and feeling like he can be. I'm a massive Zava apologist. I think that Zava is a good teammate. Yeah. He, he immediately, he immediately like walks in, starts connecting with the guys. He cheers with them. He celebrates with them. You know, the one thing I think you can point to, we're having the Zava conversation now. So let's just have it. Is the, is when he kicks Jamie's goal in. But like, here's the thing. I don't think that was that bad either. No, no, because the most important thing is that that goal go in. Mm Mm-hmm. That that's the right reaction is if you can you can like steer it, make sure it goes like you don't you don't like withhold touching it when you can slam the door shut that the goal's gonna go in just because you're worried that it might take a point away from your teammate. Like that that almost is like getting into like more stat padding, stat watching than playing the game and just making sure the goal goes in. I and and there's been there was multiple times in the episode during this wonderful montage we get later oh, yeah. where Zava scores or does he's something. He's a legitimate all star. There's no and myth he's like, with this guy. He's like cheering and everybody's team. hanging on him and he's with the team. He gets integrated so much faster than I expected. Yeah. I completely agree with you. They they subverted my expectations with this character. I thought he would be exclusive I thought he would feel like act better than his teammates, but instead he seems to get integrated with them in a way I didn't expect. I mean, with respect to the the goal, that was one of the announcers I thought were unfairly trying to, you know, stoke some drama there. Maybe just like focuses again on Jamie's psychology, who clearly thinks that the goal was robbed from him. 
But I don't think there was a coach in the world that wouldn't coach their players that until that ball was in the goal, everyone is on it and everyone buries it. I don't make sure it goes in. Yeah, like it, if I, you can slam the door shut, slam it. Can you imagine if, if like Zaba had just waited and it gives enough time for another player to go in and knock it away and they don't score? The proper play by any teammate is the ball's not in, you get it in. Because until it is, it isn't certain. You don't just otherwise, like you said, it's just padding somebody else's stats, which isn't the way you should be playing the game. So yeah. I I saw some people that are heavily heavily on Zaba. He, oh, he's just a self absorbed prick, he doesn't care about anybody else. I didn't see any of that this episode, really, other than him being self-absorbed. But I don't think that's necessarily to the detriment of the team from what we saw at least this episode. Get me that Zava and Zava and Zava and Zava and Zava t-shirt. I'm a Zava fan. Okay. Zava, Pikachu, Zava. Well, we'll get to some illustrious moments here in a minute with it. But uh, right now, the coaches scurry after him. Well, as you said, the team squeeze about how down to earth he is. Zava, when they get in there, is looking at their 4-4-2 strategy. And asks, reasonably... Who he will be. Uh, Ted, reminded that he's the fucking coach and is pushed to respond, kind of gives Zava free reign to be which, whichever of the two strikers he wants to be. And Zava, who briefly almost seems like he finds a spiritual moment, focuses himself and then diligently reassembles the players into what we see here in a moment, is a kind of 8-1 strategy of where everybody else is clustered behind midfield and he's out there up front. He says he's very excited to be here and promptly leaves leaving everyone in a position of authority as being legitimately flabbergasted, including that he's so tall. Uh, Rebecca, meanwhile, has arrived at her appointment. Did Before she opened the door, did you have an assumption about what this appointment would be? Yeah. You figured it would be good? Yeah, because he just, just covered this last last week. Yeah, it, I, it, it is I, set I up. That's what there was. The scene we didn't like with her mother had a, had, 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 had a purpose of setting this up. Yeah, that, that's the only thing about the show that is... I think you could criticize maybe is that it's a tad like it's a tad predictable in what they set up. Like Mm -hmm. it is like the definition of Chekhov's gun. Like if if something is mentioned, it will be mentioned later. Yeah, exactly. Usually fairly quickly. Uh, From the outside, it just looks like some random brownstone. Uh, We could learn that it is the home of her mother's psychic Tish. Tish! Uh, Tish invites her in, offers her a drink, and they share drink and big Lebowski jokes for a moment. Uh, and then Tish- yeah, you no wait a second. The way you did that, I don't think that's not really go happened. on. Well, you made it seem like they were just like there was this great rapport. Not a bit. Th- these are these are two people trying to joke, and, and just two ships missing in the night. Like they doesn't don't land. they don't they're not remotely on the same page. I, I was expecting you to jump in with the actual jokes so that we could then you know, just have a profound sigh of how awkward the moment is. I'll take a white Russian. And she responds by saying she's out of Kalua after hosting a big Lebowski themed birthday party, but. Which straight vodkas are for ice? Then Rebecca says, I was just making a joke. And she goes, Oh, I was too. It, man, it's tough. If you're yeah. trying to banter, if you're, do, if you're no attempting banter <laughs> and one person has to go, Well, I was joking. And the other person has to go, Well, I was joking too. It's like, Oh my God, this thing has crumbled. What, Tish, going off that moment, decides to start up her routine, uh, describing rapidly the roles that both Rupert have, and Sam have played in Rebecca's life, who's briefly shocked that Tish has this kind of information before Tish does what I think is a, a very quality showman move and reveals how she did the first and easiest trick. Uh, that, you know, obviously I've been talking with your mom weekly for the last six years. I know about all this. Most shocking thing I've about that is Rebecca told her mom about Sam. That's an interesting call. I guess she shares that kind of thing. I, well... 
Again, in the world of the show, apparently her dating Sam is just a problem to no one. So I guess there's no problem with her revealing that to her mom. Who could say? Uh, this is, this is professional wrestling. Like every, cause this is carny act and you know, for everything, everything in the world's professional wrestling. So the, my favorite professional wrestler right now. Yes. The, my favorite one working is Becky Lynch. I think she's the best. She is the, the, the best talent. Anywhere in professional wrestling working right now. And one thing she'll do in a lot of her matches that I find very interesting is she'll take what's called a shoot punch, a real punch. Mm. She'll work with the person she's with and say like in the first eh, 60 seconds of the match, Mm -hmm. really clock me. Like proper hit me, hit me hard. And what happens to the, 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 the fans is their reptile brain takes over because they see one real punch Mm -hmm. and then they're more inclined to believe the moves later that are fake. Like, and I say fake meaning like they don't really hurt the person. Um, or designed not to hurt the person. This is what Tish is doing. That's a good comparison. That's what she's doing. It's, it's a carny act that that is done in professional wrestling. She, she basically gave you one shoot punch. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, okay, well, then she's really honest with me, and then she's not honest. I can, tr- I can trust her going forward. She's going to reveal how this works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tish is not at all surprised about Rebecca being a skeptic, because purportedly her mother was too. I tend to doubt that from what we've met about her mom so far, but again, it's all part of the marketing here. Uh, and she introduces Rebecca to Kintsugi and wraps it into what she kind of views as her role, that... The idea is that we embrace the flaws and the, and the imperfections and, and the imperfections, and in doing so, we create something much stronger and more beautiful. I, both in a, as a style of philosophy, but also as a style of like artifact preservation, I actually like Kintsugi. I appreciate the idea of treating breakage and repair as part of like the history of the object and not covering it up, but actually just showing it as part of how the object came to the present. Do you know what Kintsugi was before the show? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I knew you were going to say. That. You remember we were we were doing a pod on The Last of Us, and you you kind of set me up. You were like, "Hey, hey, how how many of those stairs could you get up?" And you kind of set me up to kind of sound like a jerk because I was like, "Oh, well, I really work out a lot." And you're like, "Haha, I knew." I knew so that's what I did there with Kintsugi with you. I knew you were going to say yes. I knew you probably knew it, and I was kind of setting you up to sound uh, like an asshole. I, I referenced the book Shogun a lot. I read that when I was way too young and got really into aspects of Japanese culture. So yeah, there's a few I know about, and this one I'm familiar with. By the way, folks, I could totally handle the stairs in Last of Us. No problem. Not no problem for this guy. Yeah, me and my, me and my, and meanwhile, my, uh, my, uh, Joel knees would have some problems. Uh, Not a problem. Now, they put their hands on the bowl, and Rebecca suddenly smells something very odd, which Tish thanks her for noticing. I guess. That's so strange. <laughs> what do we make of it. that? I didn't know what to make of that scene. Uh, yeah, Carney misdirect, man. Uh, again, Carney, set, that's what carnies do. Yeah, because like carnies don't want you thinking too much about any particular thing during the interaction. So they're yes. constantly keeping you on their heels. They're constantly t- saying things, making movements. They dress a certain way. Mm-hmm. All of it is to make you be on your back foot so that you're not noticing the carny act. So you buy their shtick. Yes. Yeah. Well, it works. Cause it again sets Rebecca, just confuses Rebecca and us, the audience. And we rapidly get three prophecies from Tish. The first, a green matchbook in Rebecca's hand. Very special, how lovely. The second, several voices seemingly yelling out, shite in nining armor. And third, uh, thunder and lightning in Rebecca upside down, drenched but safe, and she is in some manner going to be a mother. Those are our three prophecies. Sir, what do you make of these? The, the Carney, first one... Carney, Carney bullshit. Carney bullshit. The first one, you know... 
comes true in the way the prophecies do, where it's six months or whatever later, weeks later, and you know, then she gets her green matchbook in her hand. Spencer, mm-hmm. I see yellow shoes in your future. Oh my god! At some point, six you will see, from now. you will have, you will interact with someone you know will have, you will see in a store yellow shoes. Okay. Like what the fuck? That doesn't prove it. Yeah, it's it's just she's complete carny. Uh, now the show, I know what the way the show the works. The show's going to work them in. Show's going to work. The show's going to work all three in. Is going to make you not going to tell you and make you question if this lady had some legitimacy to oh. her. But I I see it as a carny act. Well, I mean, it's also going to play out the same way as classically all prophecies do, whether they're true or not or coincidence. No one's going to recognize them until after the fact anyway, and then assign meaning to events that have occurred. Um, but it leaves us to ponder how the show is going to play that out, because we assume from a narrative standpoint, each of these is going to come true. We'll, we're gonna, we'll debate these throughout the season. We can debate these on SportsCenter Top 10 if you want. Do you think it's better for us to debate them there, or you want to debate them now? The the individual uh, prophecies? Sure. I think I think that would qualify for something to do now. Okay. Because uh, that's plot. That's not really like a side quest. What? I've got a theory that uh, Jamie is the knight and sh- is the uh, shite in knighting armor. That kind of sent you in text a little bit earlier of where I think this is setting up. We also see in this episode of where Jamie is going to, through Roy's training, come into his own, become an all, a proper all-star the way people originally predicted he'd be. Maybe step in to save the day after Zava is either injured. Or Zava will team. get hurt. Zava gets hurt. We'll, yeah. we'll see that up. Uh, and then he's constantly referred to as a little shite, particularly by Roy. Probably he's going to do that. And probably that's the person that keeps yelling it out. His number is nine. Seems like it's sitting out there. Uh, and also, Single digits, always striker. And he's also going to be the, 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 the knight in shining armor to the team of where he rides in to help save the day when he you know, has gained new abilities to be able to represent and carry the team even after they lose their all-star. I think, that's from, I think there's some evidence to set up that as a possible interpretation of how that one might play out. What do you think about that? Seems reasonable. Okay. Uh, as for... Thunder, lightning, we're back upside down, drenched but safe, and she's going to be a mother. What? Do, I'm curious your thoughts, because I, I think I think there's some ways this could play out and some ways that are less likely and more likely. Um, seems to be harkening back to at least one. Well, we, we see Rebecca react most negatively to this one. She's just kind of confused or flippant to the other ones. This one, she responds, fuck you. I've always thought you were completely harmless because my mom could afford you, but you were actually dangerous and you're fucking cruel. This tying into the fact that one of the biggest aspects of trauma associated with the relationship with Rupert is that Rupert never wanted to have kids. And she feels like that as a result of that and spending years with him, she missed that opportunity in her life, whether it's because she actually literally can't have kids anymore or it just feels like that she's gotten too old practically or socially for that to really be possible. Yeah, you know, like I think it's interesting how we've approached this so differently because I thought through this through the lens of the Carney Act, not through how they could come true or what they mean. Mm. I was thinking like, why would she say this to Rebecca? Well, um, she probably heard about the dynamic with Rupert and the kids from the mother, but she also probably realizes that, you know, it's a, it's a pretty safe shot on the dartboard with any woman between about 45 and 52 Mm -hmm. who doesn't have kids to reference kids and be, it'd be an emotional touch point because that's the, the, between the, between about the age Rebecca is between 45 and 52 is about the age where they come to terms with the fact they're never going to have one. That's the cold reading kind of conclusion to reach of where based on that demographic information, this is a reasonable bet of where I can offer this. And at least they're going to have an opinion on the subject. 
it will hit home and that will keep her coming back. Yeah. I, I, like you, I'm a skeptic and I really disdain the subject of psychics. However, like you, I also assume that the show narratively is going to work these into the plot ultimately the season. So that's what I'm more interested in rather than them literally coming true. Well, th- we're not quite on the same page Go because on. we both agree that they're carnies and it's bullshit. Yes. I don't disdain carny acts though. I do appreciate the act. Like, this is the wrestling fan in me. Like I, when somebody has this gimmick and it's working and it, and it, and uh, people are entertained and invested in it, then I like it. Uh, now, where uh, I start to get frustrated is when they actually start giving life advice based on their carny bullshit and changing the trajectory of someone's life. If it's just a sort of fun, entertaining read, like tarot card read, and then you go do your life, I'm all for it. When it's based on my reading here, you should leave your husband. Then I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa! You're you're over your skis. And, and that's where I, I, I that's where I thought I was dividing a bit of line on terminology. When I refer to something as a carny act, I'm treating it more in that kind of abusive, manipulative. This is actual magic kind of shit. If it's yeah. just someone that's practicing some aspect of cold reading and just using that for entertainment value, and it's acknowledged that this is just a bit of essentially stage magic, I'm all for it. That's just skillful ability at work there. So when someone's they don't trying have to, to acknowledge, sell you a bill they don't of have goods, to. Like... They don't have to acknowledge it for me. Like they don't okay. have to. They don't. They don't have to like admit it. But I do think there is a line in these to, things. To what degree it's you, abusive? Yeah, and it, you know, and it's almost like it's almost like a therapist, basically. Like in this, <laughs> in, in the <laughs> topical in this in the sense of where the line is, right? Because like I think therapy is extremely helpful. I've implored basically every friend I have, you included, to go get mm-hmm. to go to therapy. I think it's wonderful for everybody. But I do think there's a line for therapists where they can get really dangerous when they start directing traffic and telling people what to do with their lives mm-hmm. and trying to be in control of the patients. That's really dangerous too. So I do think there's like a line there for most of these types of interactions where if you if you have something you've studied, you're really good at, if it's a carny act and you're really good at that and it's entertaining, all of that's great. But don't try to manipulate people's actions. That's my line. Well, Rebecca clearly embraces that stance with respect to interpreting particularly this third theory of where she just views it as profoundly manipulative, hurtful. Everything that's been setting up is an aspect of the trauma that has informed her that we've seen since season one. So hearing that, and we can debate endlessly throughout the season to what degree this will prove true or not, she charges off, and Tish's reaction is interesting because she doesn't, like, look immediately disappointed she doesn't look like, you know, immediately drop the facade once the customer's out of the room. She acts emotional. She acts like, she acts like a true believer, like she actually buys her spiel in terms of how she responds now alone after Rebecca leaves, which is interesting. Uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Keely is doing interview prep work with Danny, Colin, Sam, and Isaac. Uh, she's of the view the press is going to be want to talk about Zava, and she encourages them to keep it light, keep it positive. Shandy interrupts, though, and suggests that they instead swerve the other way and do something so shocking that the interview goes viral. Keely doesn't agree. Uh, like that you eat your own hair. Uh, perhaps. Wonder where that example may have come from. Uh, but she's cut off before she can kind of talk to uh, Shandy and the team about it by Roy entering. Roy is annoyed about being asked to do dumb interview shit, but he is polite and kind about it, where he, go, he offers to Keely that if she wants him to do one, he's happy to do it for her. Keely is legitimately appreciative about this, knowing how much Roy hates interview shit. Uh, but Shandy promptly plays the role of the protective friend, and publicly, in a work setting, in front of his team, 
starts laying into him about the breakup, which I found highly inappropriate for why she's there in the role that she's playing. How'd you feel about that? Well, I'm not going to bury the lead here. One of the things I'm going to talk about a little bit on this podcast as you go through the rest of the recap is that I think in life, people kind of take two different tacks mm-hmm. as for as friends. They, when a, a friend of theirs gets a significant other, they will try to be friends with the person. They will develop an independent relationship with the person. And when there's a breakup, we'll try to be somewhat fair in staying out of it, staying above it, being supportive, but not getting in the weeds with it, you know, trying to be there and, and friends and caring for both sides. Because at this point, the person's developed this independent relationship with the other person. That's one tact. That's one type of person. Then there's me where (laughs) who is hard. I'm not, I'm not super interested in like developing independent relationships with my buddies, girlfriends or my girlfriend's boyfriends. Like I will be civil around them and, and be friends with them, but I, I don't need to be like best friends with them. And when they break up, if there's a hint of disdain, fuck that person. Like I'm the pit bull. I'm the one that can't wait to get out there and be like, you hurt my friend. I've got nothing for you. Carry the fuck on with your life. We got, we, we don't want you around here. Basically I'm the, we don't want you around here guy. You you can, you can get on out of this bar. We got nothing for you anymore. You hurt my friend's feelings. I'm that guy. So what Shandy does here, inappropriate, especially in the work, especially in the work. We can, we can, we we can debate. I'm, I'm, I view your philosophy when it comes to post breakup interactions with other people's exes, perfectly legitimate. Not in a workplace setting, in in front of an audience of employ of various people that work at the company. Not you're not going to get any argument from me that's inappropriate. Yes, but I'm sympathetic to it. Sure, because she you can you can see the actress plays it really well too. She does. You can see she, she you can has see that the clear bearing. You can see her face sort of like glaze over when Roy comes in and she becomes a tack talk for her friend and like. Eh, I don't know, man. I might, you know, as inappropriate as it is, and it is inappropriate, mm-hmm. something I might have done. So I'm a little bit sympathetic for Shandy here. I get it. I get it. Put a pin in that conversation until we get to this fuckhead, Michelle. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> um, uh, she, you know, lays into the subject of the breakup. Keely is, again, clearly caught off guard and uncomfortable with this. No other reason that she doesn't want to talk about it in front of other people anyway. Uh, but she explains to the room that Shandy... Someone she works with, and that she is an old friend of hers. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Every one of the players does that. All of them. To a man. They all all immediately just like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. People don't like her. If you notice, it was Sam, too. He was the first yeah. one who, like, leaned. He nice kinda, like, guy in the team. Sam's always kind of the social director, right? Yeah. And he actually becomes social director later in the episode. He actually, like, leans, get, gets the guys in the huddle and goes, that makes sense, right, guys? Yeah. That makes <laughs> sense, right, guys? <laughs> Gone. Uh, Roy confirms it is nice to put a uh, name to the, uh, put a face to the hair, revealing that Shandy's uh, viral example of eating her own hair was her own personal story, and exits literally stage left. I enjoyed Roy's response when she goes, I'll interview you. Why'd you dump my friend? And Roy just goes, you're fun. Yeah. Which, which is the same way <laughs> Zaba reacts later to her too, which is another point of comparison between the two of them or point of similarity between the two of them. Uh, back in the coach's office, uh, Beard gives Ted some bad wordle advice using the subject of the word ethic, which I'm guessing had no words, letters matching whatsoever for wordle. Uh, so also- it's mm-hmm. not ethic. 
it's not ethic. The wordle is not ethic. Like not ethical. Like it's not ethical. Like it is not ethical. It, they're focusing us in on a central that, theme of this episode for several good. characters. Yeah. I thought that. I thought uh, that was pretty good. No, it's no, it's not ethic. It's. I'm like, oh, oh that would come up later. Uh, Jamie enters though uh, and asks to speak with Ted, uh, saying that you know we're all excited for Zava to be here. He gets it. But you can talk to me as long as you want, but I do have a tendency to doze off around 1 a.m. I, I don't. You uh, you and Levi do, but it happens. Uh, For sure. But uh, Jamie's worried that a lot of players like him, he's seen a lot of players like Zab before, and he's worried that this guy's just another self-absorbed glory hunter who only cares about himself. The room of coaches seem somewhat amused, particularly hear Jamie saying this. And Beard, looking knowingly, suggests that, Jamie, you saying that, isn't that maybe a little ironic? Jamie, in an important word choice, says he doesn't know, which is a notable way of responding to that question, which sets up what happens here in a second. Because he's thinking. Yeah. And explain, this is a guy that's doing a lot of thinking. Again, we talked about character arcs for characters. I'm impressed by Jamie this episode in a lot of ways, we see. Uh, But he explains that the team's had a good thing going, that he likes it. He likes the vibe that the guy's a team, and he's worried that Zava's already messing it up, gesturing at the 8-1, you know, strategy on the board that Zava's prepared. Ted acknowledges that it's a reasonable concern, but notes that they got to kind of see where it goes first, which is a perfectly reasonable response from Ted. We've just hired him. we got to see how this plays out just at least a little bit before we do, do something different going forward. As someone who, like, manages people for a living, every Ted-Jamie interaction makes me so happy because, like, Ring, Ted, true. listen. Well, well, I hope it does, right? I mean, for I hope I, I, aspi- yeah. I aspire to it, right? Because, like, he, he listens to Jamie. Jamie does feel heard by Ted. Yeah. T- Jamie appreciates Ted's response. And I think it's a really positive interaction. And then he sacks Beard up on the way out. But like the the thing with him and Ted seems abundantly healthy. And they've kept that thread right through seasons. The, the talk, we've, we've, I think we've debated and certainly a lot of fans debate what is Ted's value to the team? Because he clearly doesn't, still doesn't know the football that well. He doesn't control any aspect of strategy. Won't even watch highlights. Won't even watch highlights. These moments are Ted's value to the team because he yeah. is extremely skilled at this kind of thing. Yep. Uh, Jamie acknowledges that, gets ready to move to leave, but stops in front of Beard to note that actually he was being hypocritical rather than ironic, which he notes that, leaves, and Beard looks concussed to be called out at this point, particularly when Ted asks him, was that right? Beard has to very yeah. softly admit it was. And Ted notes, I think correctly, that so doesn't that make that whole situation ironic then? Which Beard has to acknowledge. Yeah. Can I Uncle Lee out there to the kids for a second? Mm. So you're going to learn when you're going through school, you're going to learn the word ironic. You need to or, you learn know, it. Or not. Learn learn it for school. Learn how to do it. Learn how to – I mean because you're going to you want to use that word correctly in a lot of like – freshman papers in college when you're trying to make everything sound as like whatever, whatever. But in life, in life, don't use the word. Just, just toss it because the margin for error is really high. You it's, it's actually a kind of a difficult word to use correctly in casual conversations. And most people fuck it up. Just don't use it. And when you fuck it up, the person that you're talking to will universally be the one person that actually understands what irony is and call you out on it. That's my how wife. it plays out. Yeah, of course, Sarah does that. Uh, my wife knows exactly what that word means. And every time I screw it up, she lets me know. You need to have a doctorate in English to understand this concept correctly. There's 
you are either unique or you are not unique. You cannot be most unique or very unique. You can be unique you, or not unique. That's it. Uh, but again, the whole scene is the start of several moments we get in this episode of our board. Jamie has been getting cultured. He has been growing up. He has come so far from various moments we saw. Can I get a can I get a Tart jersey? I want a Jamie Tart jersey. He is. I love Zava. I do actually think he's a good teammate. But Jamie is now my favorite person on this team. I'm hey, I'm setting up the shite and dining armor thing. I want to see this for Jamie over the course of this because he's improved as a person. I want him to now accomplish his dreams as an athlete too. I know I'm all over the place. You recap, I apologize, but like Mm -hmm. I, I really love when he's talking with Roy and and he. It's not. I don't like that he's getting the attention. Mm-hmm. It's I'm, I'm upset because I, I no, well no it actually goes to I'm upset because I want to be better than him like oh later it's, yeah yeah he, yeah he's still it's about his growth and like the fact that he he aspires to be really good at mm-hmm. his profession like I, I just respect that I like yeah, I like that, that approach I I really can appreciate professional pride of where he just wants to be a better athlete and thinks he can accomplish that it's not undermining someone else he wants to improve himself to rival him give me that tart jersey oh yeah. Uh, Hickey we, Bottoms! Well, at this point, I think we cut to the game of where we're now at our first game with Zaba. Fans and announcers are going nuts. Richmond's going fucking global now that they've got, uh, they've got Zaba with them. Hickey Bottoms sits down. That's why I yelled Hickey Okay, Hickey Bottoms sits down. Uh, in the locker room, Ted asked the team, uh, what do you do? All right. When, yeah, go on. Pop quiz, hot shots. What do you get when you combine one of Hugh Jackman's finest film roles with a fancy pants New York getaway? Uh, Sam offers the answer, Jean Valjean cat skills, which I'm going to give credit for creativity at least because it does fit the answer. Uh, I personal opinion, I think the 2012 Tom Hooper movie version of Les Mis kind of sucked, but you know, I'll appreciate that Sam has an alternate opinion. Uh, Ted, like, God, I think, man, hmm? who is the, who's the guy, who's the guy from Gladiator? Uh, Russell Crowe. Good Lord, man. That was a rough he, one. Couldn't they have dubbed him genre. Julie Andrews? Couldn't they have Julie Andrews' yeah, his they, voice? They don't dub people anymore. They just cast actors for roles, whether they can sing or not, in terms of musicals. It's the weirdest decision they do nowadays. I felt bad for him. because, like, I'm not a good singer either, but, like, just, well, to just dub him, well, man. You have you, you have the technology. Russell Crowe's also not a bad singer. He's in a rock band. He can make it work. Just not for, like, a sung-through musical like Les Mis. He's not a good fit point. for Javert. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there's other problems with the movie. I'm going to talk about it on Sports Center Top 10. Uh, but Ted is mostly, I think, rightfully impressed that Sam even knows what the freaking cat skills are. But sure. in what I think is one of the more interesting moments of the episode, Sam reveals that he's a big fan of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, to which, that is an Amazon show, every character on this decidedly yeah, Apple TV yeah. show acknowledges that that show yeah. is good. I respect that <laughs> word. Can't you just? Hey, and also, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, great show. It's a wonderful show. It is, it is really good. It's pleasant. It's pleasant in a kind of similar way to Ted Lasso. Which it's nice the two shows, the one show could acknowledge the other. In that That's way. a good point. That might be why they called it out. It's got, a, got kind of a same we're, tone. We're right? representing something here. Our own little nook. Yeah. Uh, Ted instead hoped that they would draw uh, some comparison to their opponent's name and get to Wolverhampton. Uh, Wolverine, Hamptons. It works. Uh, the Wolverhampton Wolves? Uh, Wolverhampton no. Wanderers. Or Wandering Wolves. Maybe just the Wolves. No. This is a debate. <laughs> uh, I love how Roy says the word no. No. Because he add, like, there's this like other syllable added. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the coaches have a new game plan. The 4-5-1. Which they now frame as, now remember, this 4-5-1 is not about dropping back. It's about getting fucking service into the box for Zaba. All free kicks will be taken by 
Zava. Uh, all penalties, Zava. All corners, anyone to Zava. That's it. Set him up, and our man Zava's going to, well, he's going to knock him down. That's the game plan. Okay, so I've got, I am going to jump in as someone who has watched a little bit of sports. Please. So in basketball, right? Basketball is an interesting sport because it's kind of similar to soccer in that if you have someone who is an elite scorer, mm-hmm. so draw the comparison to striker, it can elevate a team from being like last in the league to like playoff contention or more. Like you can take a guy sure. like Kevin Durant in his prime and stick him on any team in the league. And that team would be potentially in the final, maybe four or eight in the playoffs that year. And if he has any help at all, they'll compete for a championship. Like that's how important a scorer is in basketball, similar to striker in soccer. Right. But one of the things that Pat Riley talked about a lot and he sort of lived by is that like when he was coaching the Lakers in the eighties, he had guys like Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, who you could give the ball to and they could score every time. He said, but the guy that you want to set screens, to rebound, to inbound the ball, to make a pass, that guy's not motivated unless they touch the ball occasionally. It's really hard to go out and rebound with all your effort if you don't ever get to shoot. Mm. Like, And so like that's this 451 kind of bugs me because it's like yeah that might be in theory the smartest way to in each individual play attack the goal but I'm not sure how much defense you're going to get that team to play if they never get a chance to touch the ball it, it's, it's, or whatever it, I'll, I'll talk a little about the 451 I look I I know almost nothing about football after play, after playing as a kid particularly not about football strategy in the, like the Premier League but I look up the 451 a little bit and I'll talk about some more in sports in our top 10 but apparently it's usually regarded more as a defensive uh, strategy rather than an offensive one. Yeah, because you pull. Yeah, you pull, pull everybody uh, yeah, back. Pull everybody back, but I, like sometimes you let the guy who you you know is probably not going to make the shot or score. Mm-hmm. You let them do that because they'll play a little bit better defense at the midfield, sure. right? Uh, uh, so as I said, the gameplay is essentially just get up in the ball and miracles will happen. We'll see in a minute how that plays out. Uh, Colin is benched. Uh, and it's written there right on the board. But Isaac, who is Isaac, still the team captain, right? You kind of replaced Roy, and he's regard. damn good at it. I like this scene a lot. It should, should... Multiple Isaac mo- leadership moments this episode. This is one of them. We get another one at the restaurant. Yeah, of where Collins is benched. They acknowledge that Isaac immediately is there right next to him, sitting next to him to reassure him. Collins appears to clearly appreciate it. Repeats his mantra. Coaches predict a strong and capable man. Indeed, uh, Ted brings the team in for their for, the, for their moment, uh, but Zava doesn't join as he's still meditating. Um, no one really knows what to do with this. Uh, um, Ted offers to bang a gong. Jamie tries to whistle shrilly. Isaac, however, apparently hits the perfect whistle tune, uh, which wakes Zava up. Which I love how smug Isaac is about that. Like he's just the, the Zava whisperer. Another leadership moment. You know what he does? He does the R2-D2 whistle. He does do it. He's almost that exact little tune. <laughs> uh, Zava joins uh, joins the hands-in. I am ready. Right in the middle of the hands-in so everyone's hands are on him like he's a religious icon. Hey, he's the, he's the focal point of the team and everybody knows it. And but he, Richmond all three. He calls the chant together for the team. Not him, not anything else. He's the focal point, but he's bringing the team together around him. It's a powerful exactly. moment. That, that's where I was. It was starting to click for me. I was like, uh, maybe he's not so bad. Yeah. Like, that's kind of cool because he says Richmond on three. Yes. One, two, three. Richmond! Team charges out. Everyone's at a, everyone's at an 11 but Jamie. 
who lingers behind to give the coaches like a knowing told you so kind of look, but it doesn't really work. The coaches immediately just kind of shake their heads at Jamie as being a precious moments figurine or little bitch. Depending little on the bitch. Uh, I, you know what? But I felt like maybe I'm, I'm wrong here. I got my tart Jersey on, Yeah. but I felt like Jamie was more so looking at them like, okay, if this is what you want to do, like it was, it was less like, see, I see, look, you're wrong. And it was mm. more, this is what you're betting on. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like just skeptical, maybe yeah. as that's, opposed to, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. Um, because I don't, th- I don't even think the coaches perceived, perceived it as too negative. They just kind of laughed at Jamie's reaction because they saw it coming. Same reason that they showed, they were originally planning on knocking Danny back rather than him because they figured what his mood would be to it. Uh, Beard and Ted returned to their office to enjoy the four minutes they had before the start of the game, with Ted aiming to call his son before his son's own soccer playoff game. Where was his cell phone? Uh, problem. You forgot his cell phone next to the toilet because he was doing what? Playing Tetris on it. Now, you love to just destroy... Star Wars, for any time there's a hint that commercialization has found its way into the plot, <laughs> are you willing to say this reference to Tetris here was a knowing thing yes. that Apple yes. Apple made yes. them do because of yes. the Tetris movie? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Good. I, All right. Well, we're, we're it, consistent. It didn't take me out of it, but I I saw that immediately was associated with the ad that I had. I thought yeah. the Tetris movie was coming out. It was like, oh, well, yeah, they clearly that was intentional to work that out. But yep. also, I have played Tetris on the toilet more than a few times. It's a good call for to- for, for a game to play. For sure. Uh, he moves to instead call uh, Michelle directly, but, oh, he's forgotten her number. That is an interesting moment of transition, which he even calls out. It's just like, how big a deal is this that I don't remember I, her cell phone number offhand? I think it's just a thing. Just a thing. Not a big thing. Not a little Beard thing, is such a, a good friend. Yes, he's he a is. wonderful friend. So, but... Similar to how your mind works, back to the time before cell phones, he remembers what his house landline number is. Like I, I still, I remember, I remember every landline number for every house I ever lived in, just from you know the process of having to remember them back then. Same thing with you. Those are the numbers you still remember? Yeah, I know. I know my wife's number, uh, and then I know just the numbers that I had to know twenty years ago. Yeah, those are the category of numbers we actually still remember. Uh, Ted moves to call the house line, and at the house. Michelle and her new boyfriend, who we previously just knew as Jake, I believe. I'm going to set you up in a minute. Let me fully describe the scene first. Uh, He's there, and he's offered, apparently, to drive Henry to his game. Uh, He, assuming, I think, correctly from anybody who has a landline anymore, assumes it's a telemarketer calling thing, because who the hell calls you on their landline anymore? Uh, And moves to mess with the telemarketer, by presumed telemarketer, by offering what I felt was, hey, we're going to talk about the guy later. How would you score his Trump impression? Out of five. I, it's so good that I looked it up and he's a, he's a guy who, who's known that he can do this. The actor is known that he can do a good Trump impression. Damn solid. Caught off guard yeah, level. I, th- I think it's, I think it's when they casted him, they, they, they knew that he could do this cause he's yeah. done it. Yeah. That's it. But it's, it's extremely good. It's, it's, it's almost, you know what it is. It's almost so good. It almost takes me out of the scene. Cause like normal people can't just do this good of a Trump impression. <laughs> Uh, so Ted also humored by the quality of the Trump oppression responds, well, Hey, Mr. Former president, boy, I've got a bone to pick with you. Start laughing to himself. The what gift, do you think his bone with bone to pick with Trump is? I would love similar to finding out what Zava's opinion are on constructed languages. I would love to hear Ted wax politics for a second, maybe not on show, but I'll buy him a beer. We'll talk. Uh, the guy looks immediately horrified to hear Ted's voice, which gives us the first hint that 
Oh, he just knows Ted's voice offhand. That's interesting. We don't immediately know why, or why he would be so horrified to talk with Ted. Because even if he maybe he's like listened to Ted on like, you know, an interview when he's coaching the Premier League. Still, why would he necessarily be so horrified? Just to talk with the husband? That's awkward, but why the level of horror? We quickly realize, though, as he admits it... Guilty conscience. Yeah, that Jake is Jake Bryanson. Dr. Jake Bryanson. Ted and Michelle's former marriage counselor. Michelle's former personal, hopefully not current, counselor. And before that... Uh, before before the, it was the, the joint marriage counselor. And also, let's remember, the guy that Ted felt was ganging up on him during their marriage counseling meetings. The guy that also encouraged Ted to give Michelle space as they were going through their separation and other things. Ain't that all curious? Things that are now circulating painfully in Ted's head for the rest of the episode. Uh, Ted looked 31 flavors of shell-shocked by this news, but is still, quality dad that he is, able to handle having a nice, encouraging call with his son to wish him well for his game. His son runs off with Ted overhearing that, you know, Jake, Dr. Jake, is going to be driving his son to his soccer game, uh, and Michelle asks if they can catch up later about what's going on. We don't get to see that conversation, but there's some implication later that it does actually occur. Okay, sir, I give you the floor. Tell us what you feel about this scene and what it tells us about the characters that we didn't know before. Well, it's fucking awful. You know, and like Ted is going to have to, Ted's going to have to figure out how to deal with the fact that he's been, somebody has done something wrong to him. Ted loves to give people the benefit of the doubt. He loves to find the positive. He loves to come to an amicable solution with anybody. Um, He's been working to try to do this with Michelle, even though he's still in love with her, or at least was at the beginning of the series. And she wasn't him. He's been working to try to get to a positive, friendly place. This is what Ted is, but he's been wronged here. This is a, this is wrong. What occurred? She took him to a fucking marriage counselor and then hooked up with the marriage counselor. And by the way, for a marriage counselor to do this, it, it is unethical. It's literally unethical. I looked up the It's unethical. Rules. It's unethical, but it's also you're doing he's doing so much damage to his own profession when he does this because Ted's going to tell this story. Sure. And it's going to spread. Does. It's going to spread. And and every person it spreads to becomes inherently less likely to go and seek these types of services, which actually can be really beneficial to couples and people individually when they're necessary. Like it is such an insidious, dangerous thing to do to his entire profession that he's just fucking like, yeah, sure. I'll just do this. And then like, God knows how many people for a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend throughout this entire story is going to be remember that less, less going to remember that and less likely to go seek mental health aid and assistance from professionals because of it. It's an absolutely atrocious thing to do. And also, I have a very, very hard time believing that he did not leverage the things that he learned in the sessions with her to court her. Because when you go into these things, you you share things that you would not share with any fucking body else. So he now knows her innermost fears, innermost desires, innermost likes, dislikes. He can use all of that stuff 
in his in his desire to court her. It it gives him an unfair advantage in the dating market with her, and he can manipulate her into a relationship. I've been calling Michelle a fuckhead this entire time because she not did, did not tell Ted that she'd done this. She's held it from him, and he has to find out this way. That's what's really frustrated me. But the super like the the. The, she's Darth Vader to the Emperor that is Dr. fucking sure. Jacob. Like, he's the real evil guy here because he's used his position to manipulate a woman into a relationship and has soured God knows how many people on mental health care in the process. Fuck this guy. Anyway, that's my rant. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's one of the things that, where that guy is an absolute sack of shit to the point that we'll talk about it more on Sports Center Top 10. I think he could have his license revoked for just clearly and blatantly violating ethical rules on, on, on his profession. Along with, I'm with you, the implications from this are outright insidious. In I have known people who work in mental health care who have gotten with a former patient mm-hmm. and have been fired for it. Yep. And they've been, they've been able to go to their employer and say, oh, well, it happened after the fact, blah, 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 blah. Like apparently the song and dance Michelle and Jacob are trying to give Ted here. Mm-hmm. And they still got fired anyway, because you can't like because you it learn the profession undermines the trust. Yeah, and you're inherently and you, abusive, and you, you you're potentially abusive to the person that you're dating yes. because you're you're manipulating them with all the information you learned through this very sacred, sensitive situation. Ugh, is yeah. my reaction. And, and you know, and, and it's it's brilliant that they've done this, right? Because I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a situation where Ted has just been wronged. Yes. It's not it's not look at either side. It's not let's be fair. It's his ex-wife has put him in a situation where he has been wronged and now what happens? Because that's actually an interesting position to put Ted in. How does he deal with anger? How does he deal with justified resentment? All of that stuff's gonna be interesting for this character. It's also fun for us as the audience too, because we don't know have all the facts yet. We're only getting a very limited perspective on it. So we get to share the same spiral that Ted's going down of just increasingly ha- doubting and getting paranoid about what aspect of this was set up previously? To what degree can I trust anything that occurred here? Or was all of this just a game plan that I'm now finally knowing about? Because that's... You, you highlighted the main sin we can assign to Michelle now, of where she clearly intentionally kept this from Ted, and that's a problem. There's many better ways she could have handled this. This moment's among the worst ways it ever could have been handled from what we see, from what we see, how we see it play out. The clearly insidious Awful. thought that he's having now, though, is... To what degree was she in any way conspiring with the doctor throughout all of this? And there's some timing concerns from some things that we hear later. We don't have enough to directly assign her any blame, necessarily say that she was an equal co-partner in what is a messed up situation in terms of actually working with this guy to record a relationship with Ted or whoever knows what else. But Ted clearly has some thoughts and some doubts and concerns, and we're left to ponder them ourselves. I don't want to hear from either one of these about the timeline because listen, you're, you're a guy, you know how guys think. Do you think this doctor saw them, talked to them over an hour, a week for however long it happened. And then a year later woke up one morning and went, you know who, damn, I never realized it, but that Michelle is actually beautiful. I, I yeah. just now have realized this no. because the no. appropriate statue of limitations is passed. Now I've realized she's pretty. Fuck that guy. He's work, and, he was and, working it the whole time. And as we'll talk about, hasn't even passed. The year and a half they talk about isn't enough time even by, by the APA rules. 
I hadn't we'll, even thought of that. We'll, that's a, that's a good point. We'll, that, that we'll their own we'll timing doesn't even work. That's no. that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. We'll, In my anger, I hadn't even broke it down that way. We'll, 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 we'll get there. But yeah, Ted's utterly shocked. Michelle just kind of exits the conversation because they're running off to a soccer game, and this is too big of a fucking issue to talk about in a hurry. Uh, and the game begins. Zava has Jamie pass back to him, saying to get open and he'll find him. This is a moment to show that not only is Zava just extremely skilled at the mechanics of the game, he's also a strategist, because this is a play to trick the other team. Of yep. where the team reads this, sees this, and assumes there's going to be some close-in play and passing between them. It draws the goalie forward so that he can help. Zava, with an excellent command and read of the field, sees that his plan has worked, that they've gotten out of position, the goalie's way, the goalie's way too far forward, and exploits it immediately, firing a towering pass midfield kick of the ball that goes right over the goalie's head into the goal a signature and stunning start to his to his season with richmond that sends everyone apoplectically nuts can you can you imagine that if just like it's the first game everybody's excited and he starts with that as the opening move of his you know career with richmond you'd be, it'd be insane people would be writing yeah. about that for years the only thing I can liken it to is the 08 Beijing Olympics mm-hmm. when the U.S. St- started against China the, mm-hmm. in basketball, in the basketball. Okay. They, that was the first, that was the first game of any of basketball, right? And th- mm-hmm. it was an, a, a packed out stadium. Yao Ming, who was in the NBA at the time, one of the on- only real Chinese uh, born people to be successful in All the league, yeah. hit, hit a three pointer on the first play of the game. I'm sure the crowd went insane. It was all time moment. Uh, Ted though can't appreciate any of this because he looks like he looks like and they're showing the signs they've set up before he's halfway through a panic attack it's building rapidly upon him in fact it's the cheering that actually is able to sh- not knock him out of it long enough that he can make it through the game from what we've been able to see how you fucking used to this uh, what we then proceed to see is just a great soccer and rankings montage of highlights it I had expressed before the Loved season it. one of the main things I wanted to see was more soccer play and they've written this for me it's great i love a good sports montage as a rocky fan i love the rocky movies i love a good sports montage it's even set to the song superstar based what i could tell uh nizava is proving that he's not spoken mirrors at all he is a true all-timer and his skill is driving richmond up the charts we get to see him do a beautiful scorpion kick a towering header Bearing Jamie's lofting goal, the way we talked about, which the announcers said was a steal. Some people online were saying a steal. I think he's just being a good team player in terms of getting the ball in to make sure it's there. Though Jamie's obviously still offended, and Roy notices that Jamie's offended. And a true- that was an interesting one because the way that I love, I just love how the little things of the show. How Roy is happy, he is cheering, but he takes but that five seconds to look, and 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 he's a little concerned about Jamie. Roy doubts his own abilities as a coach. That's one of the signs that he's a quality coach. He, this is yeah. that he noticed that he cares about his players and notices his players enough to read that, make a note of it to address later. Uh, he also Zava delivers what is a truly godlike bicycle kick on Danny's corner. And now, after he does that and goes to celebrate with his team and his crowd, freaking Jesus Christ superstar starts to play just to bury home the point. Sure. Uh, Everybody's celebrating. Jamie's even celebrating exciting, too, until he looks up, Zava having taken off his shirt, to see that Zava's incredible back tattoo is an image of Zava himself reaching up to the sky in the same triumphant gesture and parting the heavens, which immediately sours Jamie's mood to see this because it plays into his thoughts and narrative about Zava, but also 
Zub is a god there before him, and it's not him. Uh, the end result, though, is that Richmond's getting six wins straight. And Richmond has jumped all the way up into, I think, third place by the time that they were done. An incredible achievement in the Premier League, far beyond anything of their expectations at the start of the season, or anyone's expectations for them. Uh, throughout all this, Zaba is meditating with the team, with the team. All the team is there other than Jamie, who does a Grandpa Simpson and walking in and walking right back out once he sees what's happening. Uh, and with everybody else, Ted, as you noted previously, is late night. Drink- was that scotch that he was drinking? I couldn't tell for sure. I'm out the game, brother. I don't uh, know. So he's drinking some, so, some kind of whiskey of some variety. Some he, alcohols. He, I called it alcohols. Alcohols, yes, the alcohols. Uh, he's drunk browsing Facebook. That is a special kind of drunk that no one should ever be in, uh, particularly when you're looking up pictures of your wife's new boyfriend. Apparently running like a half marathon is a banana. I struggle with this because you're you're right. It It's bad, right? But I also wonder if it's a part of a cathartic process that you have to do when you've been wrong to this level, like you, you just going to have to hate for a little while in order to get it out of your system. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's part of the process. This moment isn't healthy. If you want to say it's part of a healthy process, ultimately, sure. But right now, this is not a happy Ted and I can't say. Oh, no. I'm not saying anything. I'm just sort of like wondering out loud is like, is this sort of an inevitable thing he's well, got to go through? I it, don't know. It's certainly a human response. He is doing what a lot of people would do in this situation. I just wish he wasn't doing it alone in this particular moment. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Nate Rupert. and you and you, you wonder how much of this he's done with Beard around, right? Because like mm-hmm. Beard immediately knows uh, he's upset. Yeah. Oh, he's like drinking a lot. Like I wonder how many like nights he's gone out for the beer with Ted, and yeah. and they've been there. For he's him. had to hear the hear the same rant, you know. Because if you've dealt with a friend, if you've dealt with a friend who's had a bad breakup, like you hear the same shit all yeah. over and over again from the friend, and you're just like, you just let it. I go. mean, how many times have you heard a friend talk about their about their ex dating a guy who runs a half marathon as a banana? I tell you, I've heard it a half dozen times. Good lord, it's constant. Yeah. Uh, also, Nate and Rupert are annoyed about Richmond's success, including him with uh, Rupert with his family. Sam is enjoying possibly in more ways than one. We'll ponder that later. His chef's cooking. Uh, Rebecca is looking for matchbook prophecies in spite of herself. Colin is chatting with uh, Michael and looking forward to him getting back from Dubai, which you talked about earlier about Colin clearly seems to have some intentions beyond just simply this being kind of a fling or just purely physical. Uh, one of the fan trio got a job and in a friggin' suit. Everyone except for a few are having the time of their lives right now. Ted is complaining about Dr. Jacob to Dr. Sharon and the announcers are discussing who is coach of the year with them essentially debating either Ted or Nate with I think the general agreement of even though one of the guys off, deb- offers, hey, is Ted coach of the year, is that no, just putting an all-star on the top of your roster doesn't make you a coach. Nate, on the other hand, is actually using it's proper kind of a, tactics. I, It's kind of a fair point, even though I, I don't like the conclusion. I think it's perf- perfectly fair point t- in terms of if you're looking at only from that data point, Ted didn't do much here. He, he put together a great team around Zaba previously that Zaba is now making even better, but... Their success is being driven by Zaba here, and Ted wasn't really involved in that. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, the team is celebrating their now sixth victory in what even Roy refers to as a fairy tale season. And Sam, I guess I'm sorry, I'm sorry to back up, mm. but I guess one of the things you could say about Ted is that when you add a big personality like Zava, the locker room has stayed cohesive and the team hasn't fallen apart, and yeah. that might be something you can credit Ted with, right? And they might he, be dismissing that. 
he built a foundation here that needs to be better recognized. If yeah, this yeah. had been a more dysfunctional team, Zabak wouldn't have been able to do as much with it as he is. It's a good collection of players. Yes. It's a good team that Zabak just improved incredibly so, but improved. Uh, Sam, reading, reading the moment, stoked as everybody else is, invites his teammates out to a pre-opening event at his restaurant. I haven't been to many pre-restaurant opening events, but it sounds lovely. All the team's excited. He tries to even tamper expectations a bit. Sorry, you want to say something? It's a lot of fun, actually, a, pre, a pre-opening. Uh, mm-hmm. Like they call, sometimes they call it soft opening for restaurants yeah. because um, you really get like a chef's tasting menu from places that probably aren't really set up to serve that way. Like most of the time you would go in and just order an entree, you know, two sides, whatever. But like they're just giving you a taste of everything they're thinking about putting on the menu. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it if you have a chance to go to one of those. That's that's a fun food uh, experience. I would, love to, I would love to. I'm just not as in on culture to even know when those things happen. Um, you usually have to get invited. So you have to have yeah, like a friend. Private but, yeah. kind of event. You got to know yeah. a Sam. Find a, good, find a good Sam in your life. He'll help you with these things. In pretty much all things. Yeah. Uh, Zav Anders and the team immediately cheers for him, which he does the kind of fun thing of where they're cheering for him, but he's kind of trying to make it like a, we're cheering for all of us kind of too, which I love that Danny also so utterly smitten with the image of Zava starts immediately uh, um, pantomiming his moments behind him just to be a little bit more like him. He did fuck a Zava boot once. We do know that. Yes, we'll see to what degree he admits to that. Gotta, you gotta keep that. You gotta keep that in mind. <laughs> An important data point to understand the character. Uh, <laughs> at, at the restaurant, though, all things seem to be going well. The ambiance is nice. Most everyone's yeah. having fun. The moi moi is apparently the best that Isaac has ever had, and he very much wants Sam to know that. Which I think you were setting this up as a good Isaac moment previously, right? It really was because I think that like what Isaac is able to do is figure he's able to see. He manages to the individual and it's something like, I, I don't know if I'm successful. I hope I am, but mm-hmm. I try to manage to the person. I don't like when somebody says, Hey, how do you manage people? I'm like, there is no one size fits all. It's Read each individual, each individual person. And this is what Isaac does so well. He recognizes in the moment that Colin needs someone to go, Hey man, you good? Like, and then he hears Colin is using the tools given to him by Dr. Sharon. He goes, okay, you're good. Yeah. With, with Sam, he realizes like Sam is probably putting on this super excited, super positive, great. I'm but he's master. also, but he's also, but he's probably nervous as all yeah. fuck inside. And he needs to be reassured that he's doing a good job and not just, Hey man, you look good, but Hey man, this is a good restaurant. Mm-hmm. And he actually is like specifically more on this in sports under top 10, mm. specifically giving him a compliment about a, regional dish and a very regional dish this would be like this would be like in, in a, an american restaurant being like man you fucking nailed the collard greens or you nailed mm. the fried chicken like it's a real like cut to the heart of like this is right you, you this is the right kind of cuisine this, this is a signature dish to do well when it's off the charts i'm gonna cure you got it my in the cut i have no idea what that is but it's in the category if i was reading a menu and i just saw that name i'd be inclined to order it just because it's a fun name so i'll be curious to find out more about what it is can i say something bad about sam <laughs> go on i know it's like the get your tomatoes and lettuce and all the vegetables the are out go on yeah i just don't like it when someone comes over to me and says hey spencer hey lee have a good time okay fuck off lee I just don't I, I, like that. He, yeah. he, he does this multiple times. Hey, I, hey guys, are you, just make sure you're having a good time. Just, Jay, have a good time, okay? Hey, 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 have a good time, okay? I fucking don't like that. In context, if, 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 I, if, I, if I'm friends with Sam and he doesn't normally do this and he's doing this, 
I'd almost go to then immediately reassure him because I'm clearly seeing he's trying, he's nervous, he's making wants everybody to be happy, and he's trying to push it. I'm like, dude, we're doing great. How are you doing? It's a wonderful night. See, this is the Spencer I don't get because what you you would be so comfortable with me, you'd be like, hey, dude, stop fucking stop that shit, would you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just find that like I know it comes from a good place. Yeah. I know Sam's a kind-hearted guy. I know it's just because he's nervous, but like it's like, oh man, that it's a really uncomfortable thing for somebody to come up and command you to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, Colin meanwhile walks in and introduces Michael, notably as both his pal and his wingman. Which, even more interestingly, Michael immediately he's got a line. falls into the role for. He's They've got, done he's got this a script. routine before. They've scripted exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rebecca is talking with Keely and notes that she is not inclined to return to Tish, saying it's not for me. If I wanted to be scammed out of all my money, I'd go the old-fashioned route and become obsessively religious. Fair, fair read. Burn. She is, however, on the other hand, overjoyed when Sassy arrives, as am I. More Sassy, Sassy! on the show. I'm here for it. Uh, Sassy! Their moment, their moment of excitement, though, is a little bit tamped down when Sam then walks over, again, trying to encourage them all to have fun, which given the prior relationship with Sam that all of the three of them apparently know about, they get quiet for a little bit. Conversations die down. But Sassy, though, is, brings it back a little bit when she excitedly asks, hey, is Ted here? And looks around to see if she can find him. I told you. She wants to lasso her some lasso for the de- for the night. Is Woo! Over. There it is. Play on words. I like it. Lasso, oops, lasso. I like that the, that clearly Rebecca and Keely had talked about if Sassy comes, she will be targeting Ted. Told you. As soon as she says that, yeah. yeah. She just, Immediately. Uh, I love their, their the, the whole the whole great vibe, vibe with those three. Great dynamic. Man, I'd love to be a part of that, oh. that group. They seem a lot of fun. There's some friend circles you just see, and it's like, I would pay lots of money to be joined, just to follow you all around. Yeah, they seem like good hangs. And, and they seem like, like genuine friends. Mm-hmm. They all appreciate each other. Like, it, it's all positive. Uh, you know what things that aren't as positive right now? Ted. We cut to Ted. Who is lamenting all things Michelle and Henry and Jacob and Dr. Jacob related. Specifically, that Dr. Jacobs apparently took them out horseback riding, which he's not happy about. I'll tell you this. Mm. If I'm Ted, he's here, here here's the thing, like it and you guys saw the flash of anger I just had for sure? a fiction for a fictional, fictional show. character. If this was real and it was happening to me, imagine the level of anger I would be at. I'd be really fucking angry. But Ted's going to have to figure out a way to deal with this because he still is going – he's going to have to be around his kid, right? And so he's going to have to be around this fucking guy. I'll tell you one thing I would never not do. I would never not call him Dr. Jacob. You would always call – oh, good call. The rest of my fucking life I would call him Dr. Jacob. Yeah. No matter how long he's been removed from the pre- from the profession, he is always Doctor Jacob. Hundred percent. That's uh, a, that's the petty. Uh, Beard, good friend, also reading that Ted's not in the best place. Decides to give make me sure a triple, double, triple, du- double, two, single, two triple over here. This guy of, just pour the alcohol in his mouth, please. Uh, Jane, however, arrives, and I think Ted just puts it perfectly. A man, y'all's baggage just matches right up, don't it? Because they're an interesting couple. That all I can just say is I've said before. They work, I guess. What's her opening line? Weinstein's cock or something? Yeah, something, uh, yeah. That's what he, that's what she yells out. Asks if he's been cheating on her, and she, and then immediately starts making out with him in the booth. You know, I was a big Jane supporter last season. You were? This 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 was a little extra for me. Well, <laughs> this was this was a lot. They have a concept with Jane, and clearly they're amused by it, and that's just what they're emphasizing with respect to her. That's a good call. Um. Roy, on the other hand, who has been noticing Jamie's funk for a while, like we talked about, goes over to check on him. 
quality teammate, quality coach that he is. And noting that he is slumped, frowning in a corner. He describes that as being a bad look while the team is on the win streak because it sends the wrong message to the rest of the team. Uh, Jamie tries to flip that back on Roy by noting that Roy always frowned, to which Roy clarifies, no, I never smiled. That's different. Which is both he's right. funny and also a really important distinction. It is. If he's if you if you're smiling one minute and not the next, people are going to ask why you stopped. Great point. Uh, Zava then arrives, uh, driving Zava. Jamie even further into his funk. Yeah, because that chant starts. Uh, Roy notes that Zava has replaced Jamie as the best on the team. Yes, acknowledging that Jamie used to be the best on the team. It's true that it happened. used to be the best. Now you aren't. You could be if you weren't such a pre Madonna. Uh, which. Jamie immediately says, did you just say pre-Madonna? It's pre-Madonna, like the lead ballerina on stage. Uh, Roy tries to... Wonder Kid, Wonder Kid. They love doing this. They love finding a a phrase or a word that people say but don't know how to spell and then then call out that people misuse it slightly. Roy immediately tries to cover his mistake, proud man that he is, by saying it means before Madonna because female vocalists didn't have to work that hard, which... What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Cult, modern culture Jamie ain't going to tolerate that shit in a world of where Tina Turner and Stevie Nicks existed. Man. Fuck you. Point is, he's the best player on the team. And right now, all you have to do is try to keep up. Uh, Jamie's not content to be idle, though. Not content to just keep up with Zava. He wants to be the best again. He wants to be a better player, which you said. I, got, I can't help but support the guy in that regard. He's not trying to bring anybody else down. He just wants to bring himself up so he can meet and rival. Uh, Roy seems affected by this, too. And in a very, very meaningful showing of how far these two have come, both individually and together, he offers to personally train Jamie to help him accomplish that. Now, he, of course, slaps food out of his hand, apologizing to the waitress after he does so, dramatic gest- effective dramatic gesture that it was, and then sets them to practice tomorrow. At 4 a.m. Because if they're going to do this shit, he's got to mean it. And Jamie says and agrees. He's in He's in for it. Uh, Sassy is doing a lap now to find Ted or climb Zava, one of the two. Mount Zava. Hey, look, I'll tell you this. I like her chances with Zava. Uh, the team's chances or, or, or Sassy's chances? Sassy's. I like her chances. I think I think she and Zava would get her along She's great. a charming person. When If she puts her sights on somebody, look out. Because she's... she's Got a lot to offer. She's charming. Well, point of comparison, Shandy's the one that instead goes over to talk with Zaba right now. Ugh. How how does she do in terms of the charming measure? What does he say to her? He's like, I like your confident energy. It's, it's off-putting. It's you know, so he, it's a perfect I'll tell you, Zava's got some Ted in him. Oh, yeah. Where you can come up to Zava and be like, hey, man, fuck you. And you can be like, hmm. I like that you're passionate about this. You know, like he's gonna he's gonna find the positive. He's gonna spin it in some positive way. He's not he's not gonna get down in the negative muck with you. Uh, meanwhile, Rebecca and uh, Keely, who are noticing this, Rebecca asks, as so many people have, how Shandy's doing. To which Keely offers, "Yeah, she's great. I love how not shy she is. Mm. Accurate, accurate. She is certainly not shy in terms of we've seen, we've seen her interact with others. The girls though then not easy. The girls then then scan the room and we get a brief montage of love's loss between Sam, who is possibly chatting up his, his chef of his restaurant. Who is more age appropriate for Sam? Good for you, Sam. Please pursue that relationship. Ah, uh, no. She's an employee. Don't do the same thing that we commented was negative between, you know, Rebecca and him previously. Don't. No, I disagree. This is a whole different vibe. Uh, 
first off, it's a restaurant business, completely different. Two, like how, this is that's being the owner of that restaurant is not his profession. His profession is soccer. Like he, this would be like saying an investor can't like work with can't date somebody who like is at a restaurant. If you can fire a person, you shouldn't be dating them. If he is there, if he is there day to day, if he does not have a manager manager Mm -hmm. that does all that stuff, then I agree with you. I, I assumed his position was more, I own the place. I got people who run it because I'm a full-time fucking soccer player. And occasionally I come in here. Apparently the show doesn't have a problem with such relationships given they've never called up that, called out that aspect of Rebecca and Sam before. So maybe the show's going to go with it. It's not a bad point that if he is like a managing owner and he like hired her and stuff, then, then it's the same issue. But if he's just basically an investor and other people run it, I have less of a problem. If he's, if he does the role that we see him tonight, it's a problem. Even if he's the owner, I'd have a problem with it. But particularly if he is looking to do to like actually manage the restaurant, control decisions, and can you know talk with, interact with her on a regular basis, he shouldn't be doing that. He should. Yeah, but I would like to say that the whole like employee thing, I do have somewhat of a problem with it. But a lot of that was I just don't have. A, I have a problem with the age thing, and I was co- cooking I, I, up reasons. I'm more the employee thing. The employee thing is the one I got the big problem. I You're really don't. On the age. I, yeah, a twenty-year-old and a fucking fifty-year-old. I'm not cool with that. Uh, they, For them, we start with Sam. We go through also Roy and Jamie. Clearly, both Rebecca and Keely are feeling sad, nostalgic, pondering what they've lost and left behind. Keely, I'll tell you, though, this Keely actress, the room. When Keely drops the sad face, mm-hmm. I you're sad with is, her. The, the world pretty, cries. It's pretty affecting. I think she. I think she has a really good sad look. Like that. Really, it. it she pops off the screen to me. She tries to both rally the two of them and rally us, though, with her line about there are better things ahead than we leave behind than any we leave behind. It's a good line. Remember that one. I'll remember that one. Uh, Zava seems to offer to get Sam a connect on avocados, which we'll see where that goes. Maybe avocados will be great in Nigerian cuisine. I don't know. I don't think I've ever actually no. had Nigerian cuisine. Avocados won't fit. I mean, they just, that's not native to the area. They don't use them. It wouldn't make any sense. I mean, I think that if you started adding avocados to that restaurant, it would become less a Nigerian restaurant and more a Nigerian fusion. Like, oh, we're doing, like, and then that fucking sucks. Like, might as well, like, be doing, like, Nigerian street tacos or some bullshit. Well, like, that's not the restaurant he wants to run. Zava seems convinced that avocados will improve the experience, and Zava clearly is the master of all things. So, we'll see how it goes. I could see Sam telling him no. They probably won't resolve this, mm-hmm. but I, Sam is the type of character I could see him like be like, "I will not take your avocados." So, like I'm drawing a line in the sand. <laughs> this, this is my breaking point. Your avocados. Uh, Sassy finds Ted, and uh, Sassy. She quickly finds out that Ted's wife is dating her ex-marriage counselor, which she refers to as borderline unethical because she doesn't know more yet. Uh, but it proves a remarkable understatement when Ted notes. That and I'm guessing this is based on the fact of a conversation with Michelle that occurred off camera. I think this was the implication. Yes, here, is that they were that she lie. began seeing him only a year and a half after, which possibly is totally a lie. Who knows? Also, it's it got is. other problems that we'll go into. Uh, he asks Sassy if she's ever done likewise, to which she reminds him that she's a child psychologist. So only twice. Only twice. She's gosh, she's, she's so clever. It, it, it has the immediate effect of improving Sam's mood just because she's that awesome. 
Meanwhile, Sam gets a gift in the form of a giant box of matchbooks, which he seems to really appreciate. All a very noticeable shade of green. He hands them out, Rebecca notes the color, and is positively staggered that the prophecy is proving true. This is the insidious effect in prophecies that you will then ponder any moment in your life that could make it work for years on after. This one applies much more directly than a lot of them do. Uh, thereafter, things are starting to group up. Trent, who's helped, who is happily there with the team, starts to walk home. But as he goes, he looks over to his left and notices that Colin and Michael are making out in an alley nearby. He hesitates a moment, he ponders, and he walks off clearly in thought. And our episode ends. Question for you. Please, sir. Will Trent report on Colin's uh, I don't, making out with Michael? No, I don't think that's the kind of journalist that he is, the kind of journalist he wants to be. I think that he will talk to Colin. I think he will ask whether he could talk about that in his book to Colin. But if Colin says no, I don't think he'd ever consider doing it. I don't think he will either. But I think that if he does, we will have a scene where Roy comes in and calls him to the carpet and says, I thought you were done with this show. I thought you weren't the edgy guy anymore. If that plays out yeah, that way, yes. Yeah. I, but okay. I, I don't think it'd be in character for the Trent we've seen yet on the show. I don't think he'd view that as legitimate journalism. Uh, that if he could work it in with the cooperation and a straight co- contribution from Colin. Or he might just say it's not relevant. I mean, how many times he did that a couple times when, when he was doing the Ted article and he basically yeah. was like, yeah, it's, a lot of this shit's not relevant. I'm not going to write it. So nail hammerhead always with the songs in this show. The last song playing as Trent sees Colin and Michael is Everybody Knows from Leonard Cohen. Great song. Though. I do love Leonard Cohen as an artist. But always the titles. Yes. Everybody Knows. They, they, um, yeah. I almost wonder whether the production team is just Googling songs by song titles to try to get ones that are most appropriate with just the words they said, and there right. they find it. Exactly. Yeah, it, it seems so apropos. Anyway, all right, Sports Center Top 10. Uh, I, I'm going to start because we've referenced several times. Dating a patient. I looked up the APA's ethical rules because I was curious. Okay, before you give the APA's ethical rules, can I give Uncle Lee's rules? Please. I hear, I, I, Uncle Lee wasn't talking earlier on this subject? No. Go on. Um, that was uh, that was just me. I, yeah. So Uncle Lee out there to all of the mental health professionals, never, ever, ever under any circumstance ever, ever date a former patient or current patient if you're in mental health. If you're the fucking guy, you know, running labs on a yearly physical, I'm less concerned. Mental health is really important. You don't do it. And apparently the APA's rules actually largely agree. People like to focus on just the first aspect of APA standard 10.08 A. Uh, or 10.08. Ah, yes, I know know it well. Uh, But Section A states, psychologists do not engage in sexual intimacies with former clients and patients for at least two years after cessation or termination of therapy. I feel like the one and a half years was a very pointed reference to that two-year standard. That even by the standards of the profession, he is committing an absolute unassailable ethical violation that could cost him his license just right there thrown out there to start it then continues though and i feel like people leave out section b psychologists do not engage in sexual intimacies with former clients or patients even after a two-year interval except in the most unusual of circumstances and then it lists seven factors to consider to highlight that such activity should not occur in almost any circumstance whatsoever practically because it's just got so many different ethical quandaries associated with it. 
but it makes you go through all the seven factors to even ponder whether you should even consider such, with effectively the conclusion being that sexual intimacies with former clients are strongly discouraged by the APA Code of Ethics at any time ever going forward. Yeah, there's a sort of like after a two-year period, you then you can sort of try to hash it out and justify it. But even justifying it after a two-year period is extremely the, difficult. With, yeah. with the idea of needing to justify it and having to go through the steps of justifying it, strongly intended to send you a message of, if you're ever having to justify the ethics of getting into a relationship, maybe you shouldn't be ever even considering it. I wasn't kidding. I do know a mental health professional who did this with a former patient and was fired. Oh, yeah. I perfectly um, believe it. But, and and it was, you know, it was sometime, they, they claimed it was sometime after. I don't believe it. And, like, I'll tell you, like, I dropped this person like a fucking hot potato. I, like, I, I was friends with them. I knew they were in the mental health profession, right? I was friends with them. And they did this. And I just didn't want to be friends with the person anymore. I can't blame you. Uh, it, it's it's just, just a serious ethical breach. Like we highlighted here, I mean, this even doubles down with the other things associated with it. But I think the show is being very pointed, maybe as an in-joke, or maybe something that will come up later, that the fact that even by their own story, whether we want to doubt it or not, that they started dating a year and a half after the therapy ended, that still should get him, you know, all kinds of fired or having his license revoked. And that's their cover story, possibly. We talked, is there anyone who is just the villain in this show? And we thought Rupert kind of fit the mold. Dr. Jacob ain't looking great. Dr. Jacob is way more of a villain than Rupert. Way more. Even if, even if like none of our insidious thoughts about him intentionally setting this up or doing this or getting Ted out of the way or ganging up on him in the therapy sessions are accurate, just what we know does not put him in anything resembling a positive light. Completely agree. All right. Oh, I got some. What you got? I, I'm in. I'm in this segment too. You are. Um, uh, Ted references. How do you solve a problem like Maria? That was a British reality television talent show that documented the search for an undiscovered musical theater theater performer <laughs> to play the role of Maria von Trapp in the 2006 Peanuts and David Ian stage production of The Sound of Music. So this was like a reality talent show to try to find someone for the sound of music. The series was originally devised by the in-house development team at BBC entertainment events and was announced by the BBC in April. Blah, 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 blah. It was hosted by Graham Norton. I feel like that's important. Graham it, Norton, really big talent. It's also making reference to a song in the sound of music too, where the various nuns are pondering what the hell to do about Maria, who's not fitting in well with the convent. Right. So yeah, the reference is from sound of music and then they yes. off the reference created the title to the television show which is what I'm describing here. Accurate line. Uh, continuing off the realm of musicals, Jesus Christ Superstar, because I was so tickled when that theme when that started to play, is a 1971 rock opera musical drama by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Price. Uh, it first appeared on Broadway in 1971, though it had originated as a rock concept album a year earlier. And it's an interesting and unique mix of modern imagery, modern outfits, modern style, in a telling of a version of the Passion from the Gospels. Uh, I had actually originally seen it as the 1973 movie version, so for me, the best version of Jesus is Ted Neely, but uh, thank you, Lindsay Ellis, for giving me a full array of other options screaming out why. Uh, hmm. It's also What's the best version of Jesus? Huh? I don't know if I have an answer to that. Uh, maybe the original, depending on your point of view, but, you know, I'm going OG high. OG's got to be pretty high up there, I would I, think. I'm, I'm going to go from a musical standpoint with Ted Neely. Uh, okay. It also was my favorite. Also, my favorite musical by Android Lloyd Webber, aided by the fact of my near violent hatred of the musical Cats. You don't like the musical Cats? I despise it almost violently. 
I, I, I felt very vindicated when the film was as shit as it was. But that why helped. did you? Why? Why? What? You love cat? You actually love the animal cats, I and lo- you also like all the animal. Like the cat tropes. I, you enjoy all of that. I do. I also like stories that have, you know, story structure and a narrative and a direction rather than what feels like a vague collection of vignettes that are just put together for the sake of pomp and circumstance. Wow. Okay. Uh, As I said, near violent hatred. Moi moi or moin moin. Hey. If you're in Nigeria, you'll, you'll hear moin moin. You won't hear moin moin. Is a steamed or boiled bean pudding made from a mixture of washed and peeled black-eyed beans, often combined with onions. And then a lot of people will put like egg or fish or like river fish in them. And Moimoy ends up the vast majority of the time looking like Nigerian spam. It's like it is formed to fit in the tin that it's in. And when you, you pop it out, it like are it like the cranberry dressing at Thanksgiving. Oh, God. The, 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 the ribs. Jello mold. Yeah, it's got the ribs from the can. Oh, that's, like, that's it's the same kind cut. of idea. That's where you cut the same slices. Kind of yeah, it's super protein rich, and a lot of people will use it kind of like how Americans will use spam. They'll take slices oh. of moi moi and they'll, like, griddle it, or they'll eat it with some, some rice or some millet or something. Um, it's, it's not – I wouldn't call it – it's more like peasant food in Nigeria. It's something very – common that people eat it's mm-hmm. not expensive and the idea that sam's chef is making like a sort of high-end moi moi is super fucking cool i mean it's, this would be like going into an american restaurant in nigeria and they've got like a fancy version of spam on the menu mm-hmm. for you like it would be like it would harken harken back to nigeria it would it would scratch a nostalgic itch but also it could be like a new and interesting take on it i'm really i think it's really cool I- I had never actually had spam before until I went on a trip to the Big Island of Hawaii, and spam is endemic in Hawaii. I'm guessing from all yeah. the military base there. And I purposely had spam for breakfast at a place. Quality, it, I was legitimately charmed. As, as it, you say, a, yeah. a, a do nothing dish can be done. You can do marvelous things with it. It's spam is the type of thing where it would, it, if you just take it out of the can and try to eat it, don't look great. It's not that good, but like. It cannot be as popular as it is if there aren't good pre- preparations for it. Sure, and there are there are, and, and you know egg is also I, really I, good with it. But yeah, moi moi is that way, and it's like it was just a perfect sort of pick for the type of dish that Isaac would want to call out in such an emotive way because he's like, oh my god, this is like I can't believe I'm getting moi moi at this restaurant. Thanks, I'm, I'm I I'm now I now hey at some point in the future can I count on you to take me to a Nigerian restaurant to show me through the menu. I am right now uh, at work. Uh, or I'm on a work trip in D.C. Mm-hmm. I come to D.C. probably four or five times a year. We have got to figure out a way that you and I can visit D.C. together because I can t- I can I can take you to like D.C. is like the best as far as having all, a lot of different types of food. Can absolutely get you Nigerian food in D.C. We, we will we will jointly go up to see our good friend Doug up there, and we'll go see we'll go have some Nigerian food while we're while we're in the area. Lots of fun. Uh, the four-five-one system consists of four defenders, five midfielders, and one striker. Four in the back are usually pretty fixed. And the five midfielders have a remarkable amount of flexibility with this particular strategy. They do a lot of different variations on how it works. As I said before, it's usually seen as a more defensive strategy, which makes perfect sense. Almost everyone is relatively back, or at least can be. It has some notable advantages and notable disadvantages from what I was able to read. Main advantage is width. 
The midfielders, there being five of them, covered the entire width of the pitch, giving them a full array of different plays that they can do in a large amount of range with respect to it, giving a, particularly a lot of routes for attack and defense. Disadvantages. It's a lot of stress and dependence on the lone striker. It falls down if they do. And it's often expected to well, them often expected to stand some equivalent of a lone. And in supporting him, the midfielders can be more easily drawn out of their position. Uh, with very becomes easy for easy for attackers to get in behind him and have only four defenders there to uh, actually defend. Um, also, as the midfielders are providing a range of different kinds of support, a lot falls on them to keep the strategy together. They have to have a wide array of skills to actually make it work. So it's apparently a very popular strategy, very classically popular in the Premier League. Though it's interesting with them focusing on it as a means to attack when it's not usually conceived of that way. Though it seems like they're having the midfielders play pretty far up or given a lot of looseness to move forward to support Zaha. I got one for you. Please. So when Rebecca is sitting, your your favorite character. By the way, how'd Rebecca look this episode? Damn fine. Damn fine. Pretty strong Rebecca season, oh, don't damn, you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Better with age type situation? I don't know. I've never seen her young. She's awesome. She, as far as I can tell, she's awesome at every age I've seen her. Uh, Spencer's a big fan. So she is sitting in the audience waiting for Zava. Zava does not come. She mm-hmm. looks at her watch. Did you catch the brand of the watch? I did not actually, no. Cartier. C-A-R-T-I-E-R. Uh, yeah, Cartier. So this is a um, pretty famous company, jewelry company, that makes watches, makes a lot of jewelry. Here's the tie-in I've got for you mm-hmm. because of my on-the-ground research today. What did you find if out? You, if you go to the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., okay, you can see – you can go to the second floor where they have the National Archive, basically the National Collection of Jewels and Gemstones. You can see the Hope Diamond there. The first thing you can see as you're going through the line of all of the, the things on display – are Marie Antoinette's earrings. Hmm. The, the earrings were said to be a gift from her husband, King Louis, the blah, blah, blah. According mm-hmm. to one legend, she had them with her when she was arrested fleeing the French Revolution in 1791. Grand Duchess Tatiana Yusasopov, Yusasopov mm-hmm. of Russia later acquired the earrings. They stayed within her family until 1928 when the diamonds were reset by Cartier Incorporated and then given to the National Gem, Gemstone Collection and the Museum of Natural History. So I did not know that. There's your there's your tie-in. Uh, Cartier, which is the watch that she's wearing, um, actually reset Marie Antoinette's earrings into the earring set that they're in now, which you can see at the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. That's really cool. And, and she was uh, – for, for additional card she was married to Louis the Sixteenth, the one that famously got his head cut off by the guillotine, and sadly so did she thereafter, hence why her jewels are all around the world. Otherwise known as King Louis the blah, blah, blah. That, that, that too, yeah. That's particularly how the French Revolution referred to him after the fact. <laughs> uh, that, was a, that was a good one. for it. That's like a world-class joke there. That was good. I have my moments. Uh, something... King Louis the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he, he's King Louis the what the fuck ever. He's King Louis the no-head. <laughs> uh, Les Miserables, a, a, a musical that we're, bo- we're bo- both you and I are quite fond of. Oh, yes. Uh, Miserable. version Sam referred to was the 2012 film by Tom Hooper, uh, starring in order of bill- both billing and prominence on the poster, Hugh Jackman as Jean Valjean, Russell Crowe as Inspector Javert, and Anne Hathaway as Fontaine. 
Uh, it the film's a direct direct adaptation of the 1985 English stage musical that is, I think, fair to say, both near and dear to our hearts. Uh, which is also an adaptation of the original French musical and concept album from about 1980, which are all adapting the classic 1862 Victor Hugo novel about France set in a period that's roughly ranging from about the end of the Napoleonic period to the failed 1832 June Rebellion in Paris. The stage musical is the first I ever saw in theater. And so it is near and dear to my heart. I still adore it. It's a bit of a basic bitch response, but with one of your favorite musicals, but I still absolutely love it. Uh, it has, in my mind, some of the greatest songs in all musical theater, and in my, and for my opinion, the 1995 concert version is one of the greatest things ever. Uh, perhaps because of that, I kind of struggle to tolerate the movie. Uh, people were trying to be positive in the movie. I was never really one of them. Hey, it's me talking. Oh, Are you surprised? Yeah, yeah. You do, you don't feel any obligation to be positive about media. You have a nostalgic connection to no i'm gonna I'm bash hard on what new trees that occur on it and I, in my mind tom hooper just has no idea how to direct a musical or particularly to direct actors singing in a musical particularly in a mm. sung through musical like les mis uh I'm shot at tom hooper which people don't seem to have fully realized until the abomination that was his adaptation of cats which already took a play that i'm not that fond of and like to mock roundly and made it somehow even worse uh not aided by the fact that cats can really only exist as something on stage or maybe animation if you wanted to adapt it in some form, just due to the nature of what it is and the complete lack of a central plot. Or animation would lack. be better. Animation, I, I think, could have actually made it pretty interesting. I think they That's even previously idea. actually sold the rights for it animation just never went forward. Um, but it's... He made it all, it's, it makes it all the more apparent that the guy was really lost in what it would take to make a quality musical. Um... The performances are also kind of a mixed bag, uh, with some quite good. I mean, Anne Hathaway kills as Fontaine, even though Tom Hooper staged the singing of her, her signature singing of I Dreamed a Dream, where she's on her knees, somehow having to summon the, the air necessary to hit the high notes, which she does. She kills it. But you're not making it easier on her to, to sing that role. And others like Russell Crowe, which are just not great for what is a very important role of Javert. Um but yeah, Leia's absolutely great musical. See it when you can. Maybe skip on the movie. Uh, so you know I love musicals. You do quite a bit. Go to many musicals, stage plays through the year. Probably as many I go to as many of those as I do going to the theater. You know I love going to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, really don't like Leia's. Really. Nope. Do the do the age old joke. I was miserable when I watched it. That's why they called it uh, Les Mis. Hardy har har. Nope. Don't like it. Not a fan. Uh, for, for me, it is just absolutely too perfect. fucking long. It, it is. An, it definitely it's a moment where you actually enjoy having a um, a intermission. So it's to actually enjoy the bathroom break and some food. It's pretty self indulgent to this guy. Co- covers twenty. You know, covers a period of you know twenty plus years or around sure. about twenty years. Again, yeah. okay. I adore it. Opinions are increasingly varied. It is. Second to Cats, one of the longest running, I think like the, the second longest running musical in all history. All right. Well, is that 10 or is it nine? I got actually two more. So we're at eight. All right. We're at eight. All right. Eight. Fire away. Uh, well, let's, let's do a smaller one to land on a bigger one. Uh, Precious Moments. I've never heard of Precious Moments figurines before. Were you familiar what? with them? What? I've never yes, heard of them. Yes, of course I have. Yeah. Never, never even heard of them before. Uh, best as I can tell, they are somewhat overpriced ceramic figures depicting children with Somewhat overly, grandmother loved them. Uh, somewhat overly widely spaced eyes, uh, primarily portraying both children and adults in everyday scenarios, particularly uh, religious Christian ones. 
uh, I think I would best describe them as cute. Uh, examples include, you know, children praying, <laughs> kneeling by a bed, various career attire. Uh, the Precious Moments Company itself was founded in 1978 and is headquartered in, uh, headquartered in Carthage, Missouri, which I love that there is a Carthage in the U.S. It also apparently runs a theme park called the Precious Moments Chapel, which has a massive chapel in it. So I knew none of that, so I was entertained to learn more. Yeah, my grandma used to like those, uh, those figurines. She'd had a bunch of them in her house. Uh, last one for me, and I was afraid that people might not actually know who they were referencing, Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews, Dom, Dame Commander of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, which to give you a, a bit of a frame of reference about how uh, you know, relevant she is and you should learn more about her. Uh, she's an English author, Damn. singer, actress, uh, born in 1935, but has had a seven-decade-plus career of just charming people nonstop everywhere and is still going strong. She's won an Academy Award. She's won a BAFTA. She's won two Emmys. She's won three Grammys, and she's won six Golden Globes with innumerable other nominations scattered around them. She has been in all the works we've already talked about and just innumerable more on both film and stage, ranging every, for everything from Camelot to friggin' Shrek, and most more recently, Lady Whistledown and friggin' Bridgerton. Uh, she's awesome. Every, almost everyone that ever sees anything she did in thinks so. She's been particularly always famous for her voice, dubbed Britain's youngest prima donna, at one time, and is has a famously beautiful, classically trained soprano voice. Something I missed in my prior existing knowledge about her. Did not know this. She was sadly the plaintiff in a truly famous and tragic malpractice suit with respect to her voice. Did you ever hear about this? No, I had no idea about this. Uh, she underwent surgery in 1997 when she was doing, actually, the stage, a stage play version of Victor Victoria, and she was having some trouble keeping her voice. Uh, they discovered that she had some non-cancerous nodules in her throat, which they were going to go in for rather routine surgery to remove so that it would, you know, uh, no longer block her to make it difficult with respect to her vocal cords. They fucked the surgery up royally. Uh-oh. Uh, she suffered permanent damage to her voice, speaking and singing in, in total, which led to a malpractice suit that was settled under undisclosed terms. She's had four surgeries since to help improve her voice, and though her speaking voice has improved, she's never really been able to sing again. Going from what was a four-octave, famous, crystal-clear soprano voice uh, to what she now refers to as a fragile alto, though she offers that she can still sing the hell out of Old Man River. So it's a sad, it's a sad end to what is a truly famous singing career, but... She is still quite accomplished when it comes to both the stage and in acting in all kinds of ways and seems determined to be for many years to come in the future. Did not know that about Julie Andrews. That is a real bummer. Um, yeah, it's, that's real sad. Sorry right. to hear that. All right, that's 10. 10 on the nose. We do it every week. I don't know how we do it, but we do it every week. Always 10. Let's go to train wreck of the episode. Do you have any ideas on who is the train wreck of the episode for you? I think Ted's going through a train wreck, but I feel bad saying that he is a train wreck. I can't give it to Ted because everything he's feeling and doing it's so far valid. is justifiable. I mean, if it, like, let's say he like pulled out a pistol and started shooting people, not justifiable. Right. But like the actions I'm seeing him take are to me reasonable Human. to be expected with this type of complete wrong that has happened sh to him. Should we say the people that put him on the tracks then? Uh, yes, the train wreck of the episode absolutely is Michelle and Dr. Jacob. 
1000%. But I, I feel like that's too obvious. So I also want to give an honorable mention to Shandy, who's kind of being a disaster. She is, and maybe she's even worse because she doesn't seem to recognize it. Partly because, yeah. this, this, let's, let's put a little bit of something on Keely here. She's said, and she, there's been several moments where we said she needs to talk with Shandy. She needs to set boundaries with Shandy. She needs to tell Shandy what her job is and what her job isn't. We haven't seen her do one of those, and I'm inclined to think she hasn't. And it's getting a little I don't bit think too she has. long to wait. That, that's a it's, problem. It's really hard to do with your friends. It's it is. just fucking hard to do her, with your friends. Got to put on her boss hat. Yeah, it, she, she does. You're right. And she will, you know, you know, she's going to, but oh my gosh, it, it's not an easy thing to do. But I also think that like Shandy's doing the thing like this is the, like if you're doing a bad job and you know, you're doing a bad job, there's room for growth. If you're doing a bad job and you think you're doing a good job, you're just fucked. Yeah, absolutely. But it's Keely that can get her on the right path and she needs to do so. And she needs to do so quick. Otherwise, this is going to get to a point of where she's going to offend enough people, enough people wanting to prejudge her, that there's not not going to be any chance to improve. She's just going to be out the door. I'm doing the boot. The You're boot doing signal the boot. with my hand. I think she's well, going to get fired. Don't do that to Danny. You might get confused. Danny does like a he does have a, a fondness for Zava boot. I will say I think she's going to have to fire him. I think I think she's going to have to fire Shani eventually. I think that's where we're headed to, and I think she'll have some sort of come to Rebecca moment where she's discussing with Rebecca, the fact she can't hire her friends. And that was a really bad idea. And it's not a charity service, right? Mm. She, it seemed like a little bit of a charity service, what she was doing when hiring her friends. She was just trying to help someone as opposed to hiring the best person to for a company. To save someone as it were. So let's do Ted's life lessons. Tell me, sir, uncle Lee, please tell us all. Well, it's you. He's supposed to be from Ted's perspective, but the trouble is Ted's going through a really Hell. tough period. And I think he deserves space to have that bad period, right? I don't, I don't blame Ted for that. Here's the, here's the life lessons I'm, I'm going to give. It's Zava's life lessons. Oh God, please, Zava, speak to me. You never are too good to be a part of a team. Wow. Like Zava, profound. Tava, Tava is extremely. I mean, he's like the best that we've ever seen what? in this show. He's one. He did a scorpion kick, which I didn't know was a thing. Looked fake. It's real. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. And he was able to do it masterfully. He's got Richmond in like third in the mm -hmm. Premier League. Wonderful, wonderful. But he is he he has, he seems to have no compunction, no reservation about just being a part of a team, mm -hmm. getting in the locker room, celebrating with the guys. You know, work talking to the guys, working with them. He comes to Sam's fucking opening, like he goes to yeah. the thing. So never too good to be a member of a team. If you if you're at a, you're at a job and you're the rock star, you're the guy who's crushing it. You're the woman who's crushing it. You're doing the best of anybody there. Remember, never too good to be a part of a team. Damn straight, man, love it. All right, anything else? But this, this is kind of a supersized episode. It was fifty minutes. I loved it. I've complained before about the supersized episodes, but I didn't feel that like there was a down moment in this. It was a blast watching. It was particularly a blast watching it with friends that really loved the show because they were just nonstop cackling during various scenes, and that just makes you laugh along with them. I'll tell you what's unequal in our relationship is I, when I like a, a show or an episode, and I'm trying to convince you to like it. It's fucking it's never going to happen. I'll fight. It never happens. But you have. Through your recap and through talking to me, I, I, I have a better appreciation for the episode. The episode, I do think that like they were, they did a lot in fifty minutes. They did covered some and, territory, and within that, they did an awful lot of soccer, and it was it was pretty fun. So I agree with you; it was a really good episode. Damn straight, I'll be curious to see where they go from here. They've set, they've set up some plot points for this season that'll be very interesting to see how they play out, particularly with even just context of this episode. It's going to be exciting, man. 
Okay, we're going to wrap up here. So is there anything? I, I do want to ask this question before we bolt. Go. What do you want to see in the next episode? What would make you happy? I don't want things to go sour with respect to Zava this quick. I want there to be more time with Zava, more time with what effect is on the team, more time for other people to operate around him, even if he's not as much in focus, before we, they go where we think they're going to go and where eventually he's hurt or he leaves or whatever else. Give me some more time with them in an 11 and everybody else having fun before they then move on to the next plot point. I, I, I want some room to breathe here. Been... Do we know if do we know if this is twelve episodes like the last season? Yes, I think it is. Okay, so we do have we a little time. Space. They probably they, they probably could do that. I agree with you. I'd like to see, and I don't 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 give me a, a Zava heel turn. I like the no, fact no, that no. Zava has good qualities. I, I appreciate that. It's a nuanced take on this type of character that the show's doing. I want to see more Ted anger. I don't mm. want to. I don't want the next episode. Let him go through the Ted, steps. Yeah, I don't want Ted to pop out next episode and be fine, or or to, or to have come to some sort of healthy conclusion with the help of Doctor Sharon. I want him to be pissed off for a while. He deserves to be pissed off. He has been wronged. This is a fucked up situation that has happened to him. I think it's okay to be angry for a little while. I want to make sure that we we have that time with Ted. I want, I want to throw out something too that I was thinking about. If you had to bet odds, you're thinking Zaba's going to get hurt, and I, I I hate to say this, but I would I would prefer that to him than ultimately becoming an asshole or whatever else. But, Agreed. Uh, a friend of mine suggested, uh, do you think that Nate will arrange for a game plan of where when they're finally playing Richmond, oh that he gets, god, that he gets yes. that, that he sets up Zaba to get hurt? Yeah, I, he'll 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 convince one of the players to hurt Zaba. That god damn it, that is exactly what's going to happen. I, I, I one of the guys said that I went oh. That fits. That would play. Because they did the little shot of Nate being resentful at Zob. Yeah. That they're they're gonna do that. God damn, that was per- who 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 gives they have that person a high five for me. That was a good call, Bridget. I'll give her a high five later. I don't know why I didn't name drop her. <laughs> give her yeah. Tell Bridget she she crushed that one because I think that's absolutely gonna happen. Okay, well this is a lot of fun, Spencer. As it always is here on the Lasso Lowdown. Thanks everybody for listening. If you've gotten this far, you're two hours and fifteen minutes into a review of a fifty minute show. That tells me you like hearing me and Spencer talk. If you like hearing me and Spencer talk, we are doing more talking every week on another podcast feed called line of succession. We're reviewing every week, every episode of HBO's succession. This is season four, the final season of succession. It's a fight. It's a scrum mm-hmm. as it were. It's a scrum in the bottom of the pile for the, the fate of Waystar Royco and Spencer and I are following it every week. And that is an awful lot of fun as well. Two really fun podcasts going on right now. Thanks for doing them with me, Spencer. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, write in, tell us your thoughts. Hey, if you think Dr. Jacob is just an awesome guy and does a really great Trump impression, if you think you think Michelle's absolutely blameless in all of this, and it's absolutely her right to go out and date whoever she wants to date, go to Megmatalks.com, upper right-hand corner, click Contact Us and let us know. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Everybody, enjoy your week.